get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is the Character and Smallman Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. everyone and welcome to Carriker Smallman and Danny Mack. It's a Thursday on 101 ESPN. We're on the back nine of this week. Great to have you with us at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Hey, it is uh, an off day. So Dan just takes it easy today. The voice of the Cardinals on FS Midwest. And here he is at seven in the morning working with us. How you guys doing? Everything's good. Awesome. We're really excited about a new day because yesterday we didn't score any runs. Against Max Scherzer. Who expects to score runs against Max Scherzer? I think good. he had like one or two. <laughs> he's, he's really good. He's really still good. got it going, doesn't he? So he uh, moved past, uh, past Mike Mussina yesterday in the all-time strikeout list. He's now 21st all-time. He picked up the win. Um, really probably should have been scoreless game, really. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought Carlos Martinez pitched well. It was a bad relay from... Justin Williams to Paul DeYoung to the plate that allowed Josh Bell to score from first on a double by Alex Avila, and that was the game. That was it. The Cardinals had opportunities. I said in the first inning when the Cardinals had the bases loaded one out against Max Scherzer, this might be your best opportunity because he'll get settled in, and you'll look up. It'll be six or seven innings later, and it's still scoreless. So they had their opportunity. Didn't happen. More than once. You had the bases loaded twice. Yep. That's I thought with the Max Scherzer early in the game, that's certainly an opportunity you want to take advantage of. But then later in the game, when you have the bases loaded again, not a, a great time for Matt Carpenter. 0 for 2 with the bases loaded yesterday. But that, that's one of those games, even with Matt, Matt Scherzer going, you certainly had your opportunities to win. Another hard hit ball for Carpenter, but, you know, how many times can you say that? Right. He, he's got to get some hits, and it's just not happening. Um, and he came up twice, as you mentioned, with the bases loaded. Historically, he is one of the greatest ever Literally, one of the greatest ever with the bases loaded. His mm-hmm. average, I think, at the start of play, and it's a long sample size. So it's not just a couple of at-bats. It's something like, I don't, what, 60 at-bats, something like that, 50 at-bats, and he's a, almost a 500 hitter. So, you know, they took their best shot. The, the disturbing trend I have with the team is that you have rubber games and you're not winning. That's now yeah. five series in a row that you have not won a rubber game, and that hasn't been done to start a season since 1959. To lose five in a row. So, got to turn it around tomorrow. Tomorrow, the Reds are in town. KK against Gray, 7-15 with the first pitch. And, of course, you can see it on FS Midwest. I was wondering, you know, Bob Papa used to do the play-by-play for the Giants. He's Valley Sports, by the Valley way. Valley Sports. Yeah. Uh, and now he does the Niners. But I just wondered if Papa ever broadcasts Sunny. It may have happened, Sonny Gray. Get it? Sonny Gray. I, I got Can it. Pop, pop, yeah. Papa, Papa, yeah. Papa and Sonny. I get it. I just didn't like it. <laughs> do you think of these in advance and write them down? No, do this they, is new. This is, I, I, I saw the word Sonny and I thought, oh, hmm. wonder if Bob Papa you ever know, Dan, He tries to connect the most random things, too. Whether it's feta, <laughs> feta chine that you were trying to do. Fetty, Fetty and chine. Yeah, yeah. Fetty chine. And Papa and Sonny. It, but there's no direct correlation to any sure of it. There is. Father, a, son. Right, but it's Fettuccine. <laughs> Come on. It's Let's see hard. if. Uh, Try and make it happen, Randy. Text line chimes in with 
Text line will love this. Mm. They, they love connections like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, tomorrow night, Gray and KK, and you'll see that game on Bally Sports Midwest. Did I? I, I said Fox Sports. Midwest. Yes, you did. I've said it twice in games. I'm impressed that you've only said it twice. Yeah, me too. I wrote it down in front of me. Say Bally's, Bally Sports Midwest. Sometimes they just don't do it. Yeah. If uh, you were planning on watching a Blues game in the last month of the season, just forget the schedule that you had up on the refrigerator yeah. and go to stlblues.com because the schedule's been completely upended. Yeah. Everything's been moved around. We spoke about that a little bit with David Perron yesterday about how weird that is for players when they have their routine and they get physically ready for the game. And then a lot of time hours before they they're not playing. The travel then gets different. It's just bizarre. So what the Blues play tonight, then they play Saturday against the Avalanche, correct? That is correct. And then there's another one mixed in there, too. Monday, they play Colorado again. They were supposed to play on Tuesday. Now that game has been moved to next Monday. I thought the Blues were going to play the Wild on Monday. They're playing back-to-backers against the Wild, Dan, on uh, next Wednesday and Thursday. So they play back, or uh, not back-to-back, but 24th, 26th, 28th, 29th. And then, moving into May, their previous last game was going to be May 12th. Now that's going to be May 13th. Mm. On uh, Saturday, May 1st, they play at Minnesota. Then they come home with two against Anaheim. Then they go to Vegas for back-to-backers on the 7th and 8th. Home against the Kings on the 10th, and then wrap up with back-to-backers here against to the Wild on the 12th and 13th, and the season will be over. You know what I was thinking about the other day? Not that I'm ready to leave this season, but how quickly this thing's going to turn around for these hockey players. Mm-hmm. It is going to be fast, man. And yeah. that's, there's going to be no time off, especially if you win the Cup right, or right. get to the Cup. When is this thing going to end? Yeah, if you're done on May 13th, though, you'll have some time. Well, I hope <laughs> that's not going to be the case, but you got, let's see... So if you go May 13th, so you're talking about a five-week run probably to, to get to yep. the Cup, six-week run, something like that. Wow. That's, I mean, middle of June, July. When is it? When could they? Middle end, uh, end of June. Yeah, mid, yeah. mid to end of June. Because That's they want to long... be done before the Olympics are scheduled to start, and they might not start. So you have, then you got July, August, and you're in camp. September. September. But if you get That's off. a quick if turnaround. You, if your season ends on May 13th, so you got June. July, August. And you got four months off, basically. Yeah. All right. You could bounce back. If your season ends on May 13th. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> so you, you think the Blues are going to lose and not get into the top seeding of the Honda West? I would say they aren't even going to get into the bottom seeding of the playoffs in the Honda West. Yeah. I, you got them out, huh? They have tough games to play. And... Dan, I've said this to Michelle. I think if the Blues play their A game and Colorado plays their A minus game. Now, Colorado's missing people, too, so that's a good thing. Grubar is still out. Donskoy uh, is now in the protocol. Randon's in the protocol. So that gives the Blues a better opportunity. But it's a tall ask to beat Colorado and Vegas on a regular basis. And that's what the Blues are asked to do. They messed up. And granted, they had some injuries. But they were losing games to San Jose, and they were losing games to Phoenix, and they were especially losing games to Anaheim, and you can't do that. And now you have to play Colorado three more times, Vegas four more times, and uh, I I don't know that the Blues can pull that off. With those two teams battling for the top spot in the division, highly motivated, I don't know if the Blues can do that. What does that do if they miss the playoffs for their, their window to win? If two years after the Stanley Cup, you say you have a two- to five-year window to get another one, and then 
two seasons later, yes, a lot of moving parts. Yes, there was the bubble that disrupted things the final year, but you're out of the playoffs. Yeah, that's one of your years of the window, right? That's 20% of your window. And not only are you out of the playoffs, but a lot of the old trends that plagued you before you won the cup seem to be creeping back in. Lack of listening to the coach, lack Mm -hmm. of effort. The talent is there on paper, but it's not coming together. That's, That's not where we thought we'd be. And they need to find... A rugged defenseman, uh, another big rugged defenseman, even with Pareko there, and maybe uh, Mikola will wind up being that guy, but you can't count on him. I, I believe the Blues need to find themselves a veteran rugged defenseman for next year, and they need a little bit. It's interesting. What they need is grit. They, they need a, a, a gritty guy, that'll a forward that'll go to the front of the net, even if it's Pat Maroon light, I'll take it. But they need that guy, and they need a, a tough, rugged veteran defenseman. They need to make some changes. Size. Yep. Mm-hmm. Size on the back end. They don't have it. No. And yep. when Pareko's out, they really don't have it. Yeah. And they don't play Mikola, and he's going to be a good player. But when you look at the rest of their guys, Justin Falk, he's not rugged. He's not expected to be. Tori Krug certainly is not. And then when you look at what they have in the pipeline, Jake Wallman has played a lot lately. He's not a rugged player. Perunovic is not going to be a rugged player. So they they need that guy. If they could get a poor man's Jay Bowmeister, that'd be great. Are you going to get Bo? Are you going to get a guy that's playing on the back line for Canada in the Olympics with a one-goal lead? No, you aren't going to get that guy. But you can find a, a stay-at-home defenseman. Somebody... Little not Bo Meester, but a little bit more rugged than Marco Scandella. So that's what I'm looking for. So there you have it. We're off and running. You guys like to weigh in here? Just I'm just of- listening to what you I mean, you're breaking it all down, baby. A lot of positivity in the open. No open kidding. Lollipops and rainbows. <laughs> I think both of us just we're, we're like, yeah, hey. that's the state of St. Louis sports right now. That's where we're yeah, at. I just I think the even though the sport has evolved and it's fast and it's fun and you watch a team like Colorado play and they're fun to play but they still have you know they go out and uh, they get a guy like Kadri who's just a, he's a jerk he's no fun to play against and not that the Blues are fun to play against but the reason as Chaser said the other day they bullied teams out of the playoffs a couple of years ago they did they don't have that element now across the board to bully teams out of the playoffs well when you lose the guys that they've lost, you're going to take a step back, yep. and they have. Um, now, they tried to stopgap some of those players and, and those spots, and I get it. And I think they – the thing that's been kind of surprising to me has been the special teams hasn't been what I thought it might be with the addition of Krug. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But I, I still go back to a couple things that you just mentioned, Randy, is, is one, defensively, part of the bullying is having size on the back end, yep. and they Huge. don't have it. And a lot of the games that they lose, those ugly goals aren't being done. It's a lot of perimeter play. And you're just not going to win that way, especially in the playoffs. You're not going to win that way. And if you look at the division that they're in or the conference, however you want to call it this year, some good teams. I mean, Colorado's awfully good. Vegas is awfully good. It's not an easy place to play when you got to play them eight times. I also think the Coyotes surprised me. And when you had to play them as much as you did, Mm -hmm. I don't think that was a good thing. No, you're right, because they play the same style of the Blues, and they do have, as the Blues, and they stu- they have youth and hunger. They haven't won anything, and they do have some players from a stylistic standpoint yeah. that are kind of what the Blues need and what the Blues were a couple of years ago. 
I think the key word for me that you just said was hunger. The, boo- the Blues need some of that. Yeah, absolutely. That's Michelle. That's Dan. Let me say it one more time. Let me just see if I can get this, get you guys to buy in here. Okay. I wonder if Papa was no. ever a broadcaster for Sonny. No. It's just not happening this morning. You you thought I didn't know what you were doing. I, I did. I just didn't like it. So if I would have texted <laughs> that to you, like everything you, you, do. you would have just texted back. No. <laughs> or I wouldn't have texted back at all. Oh. How about that? The dismissive Uh-oh. silence. That's mm-hmm. when you know it's bad. Very bad. <laughs> Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got a little edition of Sick of It. What are you sick of? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> ESPN, and you have to say it that way. Sick of it, like Bradley Beal's wife did. But we don't know that's how she said it. You're just assuming that was her tone. Yeah, because he scored 47 and his team got blowed out. But she could have said, sick of it. Sick of it. Yeah, could have been. You don't know that she was typing in a sing-songy voice? I'm just hoping (laughs) that she was. I hope so, too. You know what I'm sick of, guys? Sick of exit velocity. Velocity probably 47 miles an hour. Hey, just get hits. I don't need to hear about exit velocity. I see that Matt Carpenter would be fifth if he was a qualifier, would be fifth in baseball at 95.4 with an average exit velocity. The guy's hit no 50, okay? Uh, I see Giancarlo Stanton. He's third in baseball, exit velocity, hitting 158. At some point, Rather than trusting the spreadsheets, which I have right in front of me right now, you have to trust your eyes. You have to say, it ain't happening. That was one of my favorites about Whitey. Whitey would, Jack Clark gets hurt. Boys, it ain't happening this year. At some point, (laughs) you have to say, it ain't happening and make a change. And I love Matt Carpenter. We talked ad nauseum about how much we love the history of Matt Carpenter. I love the fact that he has great exit velocity. You know what? He stepped to the plate 45 times and he struck out 13. What the hell kind of exit velocity are you getting out of whiff, whiff, as Tony Lurusa used to say about Ron Gant? All he did was whiff, whiff, whiff. I'm I'm tired of the exit velocity thing. I want to see runs. I want to see numbers. I think we talked about this yesterday when I said the only time Hot I... Hot take. Yes, yeah, sizzling on a Thursday. The only time I really hear exit velocity brought up in an argument is when you're trying to justify someone's poor numbers. Oh, he's hitting the ball hard. We've looked at his exit velocity. Okay, great, but what about the results? I know that you're looking for trends that will lead you to believe that a player will turn the corner, but it seems like when I'm hearing it a lot, it's in reference to a player who's not putting up numbers. I wonder if Bob Brenly would have preferred that that ball be hit 95.4 miles an hour and go to the center field. Well, it was a nasty cutter by Mariano Rivera, and then he fought it off. <laughs> Called and, shot by Tim McCarver, by he the did. way. It was awesome. Yep. He said, I wouldn't play the uh, shortstop in on that play. I'd bring him out because he's going to throw a cutter, and he's going to barely beat it or fight it off. And a little looper. A yeah. little looper out to uh, center. And he was right. Yep. Pretty good call on game seven of the World Series. <laughs> Pretty awesome. Pretty, good. Pretty Literally gutsy. the next pitch. Yeah. That's what happened. Pretty gutsy. 
All right, here's what I'm sick of. We know that the fans took a rare W this week when it came to the uh, the takedown, for lack of a better term. I guess we could call it a takedown of the proposed Super League in European soccer. And what I'm sick of is not even necessarily the greed from professional sp- sports owners, because we know that greed is going to exist, especially with really wealthy people. I'm sick of the fact that they think fans are stupid, that they think fans are just going to go along with whatever they propose, and that's going to be the end of it. That fans are just going to be so excited to cheer for their team and support them no matter what. We've seen it here in St. Louis when it came to the Rams. I think the NFL just thought St. Louis would roll over, that we would say, you know what? You're right. LA's probably a better market for you. Here's a gift basket on your way out. I think all of these owners in in sports that were are in uh, soccer that were coming together for the Super League thought the fans won't really care. Maybe they'll be upset for a little bit, but they'll just be upset about the change. And then eventually we'll be lining our pockets with more money and everything's fine. They need to stop discounting the intelligence of the fan and the fact that fans now have a platform and can mobilize to make their displeasure known. I'll tell you what, I hope that baseball ownership and players recognize that too. Because what if they have the belief that after a work stoppage, fans are coming back to baseball, that ain't going to happen. If they came back after 95 when Cal Ripken had his thing, and then more pronounced when McGuire and Sosa came through. And as, uh, as an homage to Rick Pitino, McGuire and Sosa ain't walking through that door. So if baseball thinks that fans are going to come back with all of the different things that people can find to do during the summer months, I think they're sorely mistaken. I would agree. And it led me to what I was sick of, which was this week, uh, Jeff Paston reported that the Players Association and uh, ownership got together for their first meeting for the CBA. When I'm sick, of, which I'm happy about, but what I'm sick of hearing about is I don't want to hear it. This should be done behind closed doors. These meetings should be happening. And all of a sudden, you should look up one day and they say, hey, they have an X amount of year extension. And we're not worried about them taking time off uh, because they can't come together to how to split up millions and billions of dollars in a pandemic. I don't want to hear about it. I don't think fans want to hear about it. I think it's bad for the sport because when you look at last summer, you know, really, I, in my opinion, it really turned a lot of people off when they were trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to come together? How are we going to make this work? Now, there's certain things you have to come together on, which at that time last summer was health and safety protocols. How are we going to actually make this work in a, in a pandemic? I get that. But then it was about divvying up the money, which is what we all heard about more than anything else. I don't want to hear about it. And I don't think fans want to hear about it. So make sure you don't hear about it. Yeah. I don't want to hear about it. Can I give you one more before we get to Emily? Of course. I am sick of having to drink hot chocolate on April 22nd. Oh, grow up. You love (laughs) chocolate. You love hot chocolate. And you would drink it if it was the 4th of July. I would not, Dan. Yeah, you would. I would find something else. I would drink water on the 4th of July. Unless it was 30 degrees like it was on April 22nd. All right, Emily, what do you got for us? From the 314, I'm sick of sending you texts you don't discuss or answer. All right. This is uh, your platform. This is your radio show. We're turning it over to you. I don't even see it. Where is it on the text line? There's more. Well, finish it it up. You just grilled the blues but never slammed the Cardinals. Too many strikeouts. Fire the hitting coach. Change the approach. Pitching is not efficient. Too many pitches. Well done. Well, Randy just went off on exit velocity. <laughs> what do you say, want him to do? I think we've discussed all of those things, likely just not when you wanted <laughs> us to. And I would say his said 
tirade on exit velocity was probably directed a little bit towards Matt Carpenter. Because yeah. we've heard a lot about his exit velocity and whatnot, but you look up and he's got, what, three hits? Yeah. And, and, and he had, what, two or three in spring training. Right. So The reliance on that. I say use your eyes. I say, you know what? Whitey Herzog is as sharp as ever. Mike Schilt, just call Whitey and talk to Whitey about how he won. You don't think Mike Schilt knows how to win? I know Mike Come Schilt on. knows how to win, but I mean, just use your eyes. A, he doesn't need to call Whitey and or Tony. Maybe, he knows what he's doing. Maybe... The organization has developed an over-reliance on these numbers. If you were running a team and you were going to pay a guy $19 million or $20 million, it's going to be about $20 million when it's all said and done, and you are how many games in now? 18 games in on 162 games. Don't you think you might want to find out in the first 8 to 10% of that season of said player? So going forward, there's probably going to be some Tough decisions that they have to make with him. I understand we're in the moment right now, but don't you want to find out when you're you're paying him $20 million? You are. And he does have a recent history because last year was 184. Understood. But this is the the roster you have. Bader isn't there. Tyler O'Neill's not there. You've got uh, Tommy Edmond playing right field. So who's at second base? It's Matt Carpenter. Don't you want to at least just find out? So yesterday's situation when you have when you have tangible evidence that he's hitting the ball hard now on the flip side i'm going to say you're right it comes down to do you or don't you and he ain't doing it Mm -hmm. so but now i've gone through 10 percent maybe of my season and i've got to make those tough decisions and to me the decision comes down to who gives you your best chance to win should yadi molina have been in the uh, at the plate yesterday with the bases loaded no I would have gone with Matt Carpenter, and I know majority of people would have said you're you're out of your mind, and I that's fine, but I'm going with tangible evidence, and I'm go, also going with a track record of uh, a guy that with the bases loaded has been fantastic. He actually was okay last year, and uh, he's got a, he still has a pretty decent eye. So I'm going to make that p- said p- t- uh, pitcher who's on fumes who hadn't thrown more than 30 pitches in two years and had pitched the night before, I'm going to make him throw me strikes. This guy throws strikes. So I would have gone with him in that spot. From the 585, sick of snow in April. Yeah. Yeah. Big flakes. Huge flakes. All it takes is one snow in April for everybody to be sick of it. It's true. (laughs) From the 573, sick of St. Louis teams being below 500. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, we need to. I get that most people probably don't agree with my assessment on that situation in the eighth. I understand it. But I think also, I don't know. I'm not down there. We aren't down there. I bet Yachty uh, is a little bit compromised with the hand. And if you're looking at the best situation for Matt Carpenter to get some kind of success would be with the bases loaded. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. But then you send Yachty up at the end of the game anyway. Understood. But you were left with, do you want Yachty compromised or do you want Sosa or Nagowski? wonder why Nagowski doesn't get more ABs. I'm a little surprised with that. Me too. I oh. definitely thought he'd get more of a yeah. shot. It's just tough to figure out where you're going to play him. He's not going to play first. Right. And he's not going to play the outfield. So no. you're kind of stuck. Yeah. Pinch hitter. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, that's where he's at. Yeah. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. Coming up, we're going to head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and our buddy Greg Amzinger, MLB Network, will join us on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Randy, Michelle, 
Danny back on 101 ESPN. Greg Amzinger, lead anchor for MLB Network, was up late last night because of his job, but he's kind enough to get up early and join us this morning. Good morning, sir. How you doing, and how uh, how late was it? Uh, you know, it wasn't super late. I went to bed like 2.30 Eastern. So what time is it right now? 8.30 Eastern. So maybe I'm a little cranky, Randy. Do you mind if I can complain about a couple topics from last night just to start things off? Okay? Let her, let her pick rip. whichever one. Pick whichever one you guys want to expand on. All right. Uh, the Cardinals need a leadoff hitter. No offense, Tommy Edmond, but they need someone like where's Otis Nixon? Where's Vince Coleman? Where's Brett Butler? I need a guy that can bunt and get on base and cause havoc. Cardinals are way too stationary. It's boring. And it's driving me crazy. It, it, it just is. I saw D. Strange Gordon get signed by the Milwaukee Brewers. The Cardinals could have used a guy like that. I need a bunt. I need the infield in to start the game. That's what I need. I, I need the other team worried about speed from the St. Louis Cardinals. So that's one thing. Speaking of stationary baseball, the Angels are a team that I'm very high on this year. And I really think they're going to win the West. They hit four solo home runs and lost yesterday, 7-4. to four. Four solo home runs. I watched the game, and I was frustrated, bite my nails the entire time. Speaking of frustrated, I'm okay with the Cubs are struggling. The Cubs, 140 team batting average with runners in scoring position, okay, coming into last night. It was as if, that's the worst in baseball, it's as if the Mets tried to get him going. They committed four errors, like patting him on the fanny. Come on, guys, here's an extra out. You guys can wake up. You're better than this. They scored 16 runs. They eventually did come out of hibernation. And speaking of defense, Luis Arise could have won a baseball game that was mm. epic against the Oakland A's. And he took a couple crow hops and threw a missile into the third row behind first base. Why is that? We are in showcase baseball now. So Luis Arise, who plays all over the diamond, got a chance because of a couple double switches to go play third base. And he had to show off his cannon, right? We don't see players flipping the ball over to first base like Cal Ripken Jr. used to do and get a guy out by a half a step or like Ozzie Smith used to do or like David Eckstein used to do. We see everyone taking a couple crow ops and they're pretending to be Sean Dunstan. Why? Because we have radars everywhere and they're gauging arm velocity of outfielders, of infielders, of catchers, and it's ridiculous. So Luis Arise could have ended the game with a nice controlled throw. Instead, he tried to throw 95 across the diamond, and that's why it was a walk-off win, the 11th straight win for the Oakland A's. All right, I'm, I'm now positive, Greg, for the rest of the show. All right, let's, let's be positive here, but uh, I want to start negative because I was telling Dan during the break, Greg, every year I expect the A's to be mediocre to bad, and every year they're in the playoffs. Why does this happen every single year with the A's? Yeah. Great evaluation of what they have. Uh, they actually always surprise us with more pitching depth than we expect. Their their opening day guy, Bassett, is the worst of their rotation. They have a brand-new left-hander named Cole Irvin. His last time out, he was outstanding. He's a big left-hander. I think he's going to be good. Speaking of big, Sean Manaya was one of my uh, picks before this year started to be a, a Cy Young candidate. His last couple have been really good. Frankie Montas has terrific stuff. And then Jesus Lazardo is the most talented pitcher in the rotation. He just happens to be the youngest, and they're trying to nurture him. They got rid of the goggles. It looks like he's eventually comfortable doing that. He locked horns with Barrios the other day, and he outpitched him. They've got talent in the starting rotation. Matt Olson had a swing adjustment. Uh, his bat has to stay upright in his stance if it gets too flat. We talked to him about it on the MLB tonight. Ever since he made the adjustment towards the end of last year, the guy is gangbusters good, and he is an MVP candidate right now. 
for the Oakland A's. If he keeps swinging the bat like he's swinging it, they'll figure it out. You got Ramon Laureano with almost 10 stolen bases this year. They're an exciting team to watch. They got the pixie dust at the moment, and it's amazing with the payroll they continuously throw out there that they're towards the top of the heap in that division. Greg, the Yankees got off to their worst start in franchise history in more than two decades. Really scuffling. They won their game against Atlanta on Tuesday, dropped the game yesterday, uh, four to one. What's going on in New York? Tell me what's happening with the Yankees. And the Yankees got us to yell at each other last night. Uh, Dan Plesak, Carol Reynolds are like brothers to me. We always get along famously, but we got into a heated argument uh, after I found out the same nugget that you just uh, sort of read to me. It's the worst start they've had since 1991. After they uh, started off 6-11 and in 1991, they eventually lost 91 games that year and eventually hired Buck Showalter, who we now work with at MLB Network. I think we're all overreacting to the Yankees. Please, Sack and Harold were like, this team's terrible. This team's so bad. I'm like, guys, wait. This is the weakest AL East in the MLB Network era. So since 2009, this is the worst I've ever seen the AL East in terms of top-to-bottom talent. I love the, the Blue Jays lineup, but their rotation, I still have a lot of question marks in the bullpen. And you can do this. You play this game with every team in the division. So what I said last night is we're overreacting, and with the players they currently have on the roster, the New York Yankees, by the trade deadline, will be in first or second place in this division. And, and that's not ridiculous to say, to say that. They've got way too many household names on that team. I think they'll be first or second in the division, and then they'll acquire what they need. Let's say they need a starting pitcher, okay? So the Houston Astros falling apart. Let's say they're out of it. Zach Greinke's a free agent at season's end. The Yankees go and make a trade to get Greinke. They get another pitcher out of bat. It's what they do. They will be first or second place come trade deadline. Uh, and, and, and the overreaction we're getting right now is 17 games is reminiscent of the 0-and-whatever start the Oakland A's had, 0-and-6, 0-and-7, and now they've won 11 straight games. So I think the Yankees have maybe close to the amount of talent as the Oakland A's. I'm hoping they do, and they'll eventually turn it around. Greg, I'm fascinated with Max Scherzer. We saw him yesterday. He'll be 37 in July. He makes $35 million this year. So if you get him, let's say at the trade deadline, a team takes on about $12 bucks, And I'm, I'm seeing the Nationals have to find a way to pay Juan Soto. they got to uh, find a way to pay Trey Turner, probably. They're paying a lot of money to Strasburg, who's injured. They're paying a lot of money for Corbin, whose velocity is down. So my question would be, does he finish up in Washington, or is it kind of like a Justin Verlander deal a few years ago and a team goes out and says, yep, we want him, and would he be willing to accept said deal? I'm really curious about that. Yeah, common sense would tell you that he probably wouldn't end his career with the Washington Nationals because it doesn't look like the Nationals in that division. Now, I look – if you look at the win-loss record right now of all the teams in baseball, the, the NL East is off to a very mediocre start. I mean, no one looks like they're trying to win the division. It's a couple weeks in. It's the most talented division in baseball. It still is. I don't see the Washington Nationals being in the top three there. That said, the Lerner family is extremely loyal. Now, I know they let Bryce Harper walk. They let Anthony Rendon walk. But this is a team that's been built on pitching, and they want Max Scherzer to wear the curly W into Cooperstown. That matters to them. And they're the wealthiest owners out there, or were the wealthiest owners, until Cohen and his group got in with the Mets. This is, this is an ownership group that does not want him to wear another uniform. They would never trade him. There was, there was a season where they were kind of out of it, and there was talk, hey, maybe the Washington Nationals would trade Scherzer. And they came out and they said, emphatically, we will never trade Max Scherzer. So, you know, common sense tells you that Madison Bumgarner should have been traded a couple of years ago from the San Francisco Giants. But that is also a loyal 
organization. They eventually parted ways with him, but that was through free agency. I think they bring him back on a two-year deal that's worth a lot of money. He'll be their version of Justin Turner until Max Scherzer wants to keep playing. Greg Amzinger, MLB Network. What is your concern level with the St. Louis Cardinals? It's been the same concern when we had conversations in the spring. They can't score runs. With Nolan Arenado, I thought it would improve uh, a bit. And I think it's better than we thought it was going to be. But, man, this team just does not have any excitement offensively. Um, It's at a point now where if you're John Mozeliak and you're watching a a growing story uh, in Milwaukee, and Dan Plesak last night, a former, you know, pretty good brewer, said the Milwaukee Brewers' current rotation is the, the best starting rotation in the history of the Brewers organization right now. And he's probably right. Any rotation that's got Brett Anderson throwing 85-mile-an-hour fastballs, to me, is like, really? They're the best they've ever had? But if you do your history on the Brewers, it probably is. Uh, Corbin Burns is a superstar. He is a superstar. That 40 strikeouts and no walks through four starts is, is like Little League, okay? He's that good. Uh, Woodruff is now their number two. This kid Peralta, look at his career K for nine. It's like 14. His numbers look like he's a reliever. He was for a while, but now he's doing that as a starter. And then you got Adrian Hauser, who is just steady. Uh, that is a growing concern if you're the St. Louis Cardinals because you got to believe two teams are coming out of the West, two teams are coming out of the East. You, you want to make sure you get in. you got to win your division, and it's the most winnable division in the National League. And the Brewers, with a lineup that stinks, I think the Brewers' lineup is awful. They could still easily get this done with the starting rotation being as good as it is, a collective ERA under two, a bullpen as dominant as the one they have. Uh, Brad Boxberger, sleepy move there right before opening day. Throwing him with Devin Williams and Hayter is great. I think the Brewers are a team the Cardinals really need to be worried about because they're doing all of this without Christian Yelich. A move or a couple moves may need to be made to try to shuffle things up offensively for the Cards. Hey, Greg, before we let you go, can I give you a, a back-in-my-day? <laughs> I love those. All right. Uh, the Cardinals have played 18 games, had 592 plate appearances, three stolen bases. On this date in all 19- by one guy. Uh, yeah, all <laughs> by one guy. On this date <laughs> right. in 1985, so 592 plate appearances, 18 games for the Cardinals, three stolen bases. On this date, 1985, Vince Coleman with 23 plate appearances and five stolen bases oh in five my games. Goodness. <laughs> oh, my uh, I mean, it's a completely different day, and I like your day better. I like Randy's old day better. Give me some excitement, right? We need to do something to distract the starting pitcher, which is another element of speed that we don't talk about. When there's a guy like Vince Coleman on first base, you will see mistake pitches because he's distracted with what's going on over there. And that's when Tommy Hurd drives the ball into the gap. And now you got runners on the corners for Jack Clark coming up to the plate. And everyone's worried. This is what I miss. I Greg. miss your day, Randy. Greg, 1987. There's a Sunday afternoon game where Coleman just controls the game with the running game. I go into the Phillies' uh, manager's office, Lee Ely is their manager, and he's saying, I don't know what we can do. We got Coleman over on first base. He's just intimidating the hell out of us. This is, this yes. is a guy that's stealing bases and intimidating the hell out of the Philadelphia Phillies. How great is that? And, and there were games where I think there was a game I watched where he had four at-bats, he walked once, and the other three were all bunt attempts. Yeah. So he bunted for, he got two hits with a bunt. They got him, he popped one bunt up. But at no point in an entire Major League Baseball game did Vince Coleman try to drive the ball out of the infield. And it was a beautiful thing. I love that. So I, 
we got to get back to using athleticism and speed. And it's why so many Cardinal fans are in love with the game. Give them what they want. Let's get a speedster up there, man. Let's go find somebody. Yeah. Hey, and thanks for coming on, uh, you and Fran Charles and Keith Costas with the St. Louis Sports Commission. We did a little event on Tuesday, and thank you for your participation in that. We had a great time. Oh, that was a lot of fun. Those two guys are much more professional than me, so I got to learn something. It was good. All right. We'll talk to you soon. That is Greg Amzinger, MLB Network. Great to have him with us on 101 ESPN. We'll let him take a nap now. And uh, coming up with us, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it is coming your way with Randy, Michelle, and Dan on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time for it. Take it or leave it. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. Rules changes approved definitively by the National Football League yesterday, guys. And now running backs, tight ends, fullbacks, wide receivers, defensive backs, and linebackers will be able to wear single-digit jersey numbers. Take it or leave it. You're looking forward to that Brandon Manu Maliuna or Michael O'O Manawanui guy, that 270-pound tight end that wears number one. I don't care about numbers the way that you do. You were fascinated it's cool. by it. It's going to be awesome. I want to see that guy at nose guard. Uh, they, they didn't allow defensive linemen to do that. They, That's they, what I wanted. They still have to do 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. I don't like that. We spoke to David Perron yesterday about the number 57, mm-hmm. and he talked about how it wasn't necessarily the number he wanted, but then once he got the opportunity to change the number, he had developed an attachment to 57. It became part of his identity. I think the player makes the number, not the number making the player. I think any player could wear any number, and if it was a sensational player, we would think the number was great. But just the number one on a, a fat player is... Is intriguing. I kind of like it stretched out. Yeah. It's like one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or six. You know, six yeah. on, a, on a... That doesn't look right. Listen, we don't say the F word. Husky, large, thick, double C. Well, no, I think they, some of those guys actually have nicknames like Fatso in locker rooms. It does happen. I don't know. Well, that's like during the uh, players weekend. Two towels. Two towels. <laughs> that was my favorite yet. Yeah, two towels yeah. is the best. Takes two towels to go around his body. Do you think he tied the corners together? I don't know how he did it. I, I, I actually, not that I'm thinking of people showering, but I did think like, okay, how did how did this work? Right. Like, do you put a safety pin on the two right. towels to make sure they go around or, you Sew know, do you tie it together? You know, I'm not sure how it works, but he needed two towels. I would Big hope man. that there was something pretty secure in there because yes. that could be dangerous. Yes, yeah, said two towels could become floor towels. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. So uh, anything that we're reading about leading up to the draft is basically around Trevor Lawrence and what a can't-miss prospect he is. I saw uh, Ryan Clark actually post this on Twitter, and I thought this would be a great take it or leave it. If Trevor Lawrence came out last year, he would be the number one overall pick and not Joe Burrow, who was coming off one of the most sensational years any quarterback has had in college football history and had just won the national championship. I'm going to take that uh, Lawrence would have gone number one. You do? Yeah. I think so, too. I think with his, not necessarily the body of work of not winning the national championship, but his body of work and what he projects is probably higher than at that time than Joe Burrow. Yeah. And, That's and what I would have thought. Burrow had the one great year. Trevor Lawrence was great from his first game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Didn't go very well for Kelly Bryant after that. Poor guy. But I guess uh, Coach Dabo knew what he was doing. It, I think it would have been a big debate. Yeah. 
I think Lawrence might have gone number one, but I think a lot of people, because right now it's Trevor Lawrence and then everyone else behind mm-hmm. him. And I think it would have been much more of a debate. Uh, take it or leave it. Uh, are you frustrated with the schedule always shifting for the St. Louis Blues? Because to me, it's more of an indictment. Not, indictment, maybe not the right word, but more of a example of, hey, we're still in the pandemic and things are happening and let's get through this thing, man. I, I just want to set schedule with the Blues. I am going to take that, but with a caveat that I can't be as frustrated by it as our executive producer, Mike Ryder, who t- oh, yeah. used to turn out a weekly schedule and now he has to turn one out literally every day. Oh, so Poor guy. I know. Yeah. I feel Frustration there yeah. for sure. So, yeah, but I'll, I'll take that. I'll yeah. take that, too, for sure. Emily, what do you got for us on the text line? From the 217, take it or leave it, toasted ravioli from Charlie Gito's over toasted ravioli from any other St. Louis restaurant. Hmm. I yeah. don't know if I've ever had toasted ravioli from Charlie Gito's. They're very good. It's very, very good. good. Yeah. You know, very if you're good. listening at Charlie but, Gito's, don't be afraid. Yeah. No. Send them over. <laughs> but I am. Exactly. I, I'm going to leave it simply because there, we have such a wealth of great toasted rav mm-hmm. in our town. It's it's hard for me to say, as Tony might say, tied for first. You ever had Sugos? I have not. No. Sugos is really good. Really? The Del Pietro family, mm-hmm. they have a, a bunch of re- different restaurants, and Sugos is awesome. Yeah, keep that in mind. I've never had a bad toasted ravioli. Well, that's true, too. It's deep fried. Yeah. I mean, how do you screw Marinara that thing sauce, up? Marinara yeah. sauce, Parmesan cheese on top. You're, Can't mess you're that golden. up. Yeah. Emily? From the 314. <laughs> Come on in. <laughs> Take a seat. Get comfortable. I wonder if Papa has ever... No, here. Randy. It's <laughs> no. bad. Stop trying to make it happen. It's not oh, going to happen. Take it or leave it. Or, or, sick of Randy's old man jokes? <laughs> Take dad jokes. Fetid dad Chinay, jokes. Chinay was the worst one. From the 314, take it or leave it. Chevy's chips and salsa is the best. I'll take it. You know, it's good, but I'm going to leave it. I don't think it's the best. I, w- I would rather go to Mission Taco. I'd rather go to Taco Buddha. I think, while the, Chevy's is good, the, we have a lot of local Chevy's re- chips restaurants and salsa are the bomb. Are spectacular. You ever been to Trattoria Marcella? I have. No, but uh, I've heard. I've heard it's very good. This is from a chef of 16 years texting in. Best in St. Louis. Actually, I would agree with that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. They're unbelievable. I've heard. I've heard that place is very good. I don't. It's I wonderful. never go to Italian restaurants. I'm very. I don't know why. I should. You are Italian. I, I think it's because I eat a lot of Italian food at home, so when I go out, I want to get sushi or Greek food or some or something else. All right. You I've know? heard that St. Louis has the best toasted rev anywhere. Aren't they indigenous to St. Louis? Mm. So you'd think we would be the best. Yeah. <laughs> He's, he cracks himself up, Dan. I know. It's weird. He cracks himself up. Thinks about this stuff all day. We also have the best gooey butter cake I've heard. Yes, yeah. we do. Really good ice cream with the Yeah. And some Where'd you go to high school, guys? was pretty good. <laughs> From the 618, take it or leave it. The Cardinals should trade for Javier Baez and put him or DeYoung at second. You yeah, get defense. Yeah. You get defense and floor. Totally take it. Randy couldn't even wait for Emily to sit no. to finish it. He was no. so excited. I don't care where he plays. Did you guys see that he, he batted left-handed? <laughs> Seriously, yesterday. He batted left-handed. Yeah, he flew out to left. I don't know. I, I just caught it on Twitter or something, but he, he was swinging left-handed. Um, he went 0 for 4 the night before, then hits a grand slam the next day. It's a lot of hit or miss, literally, mm-hmm. with him. Yeah. He's a lot of miss, though. He's, he's a fun player. I I got to wonder if some of these guys are going to get back to where they were, though. I mean, he's swing, he strikes out at a high yeah. clip. 
how much money do you want to invest in a guy that is going to strike out that much? I'm just I, talking about I, I, the rest of the year. I understand, and strikeouts are part of the game, and we all deal with it, but, mm-hmm. man, he strikes out a lot. If you are frustrated by Harrison Bader's reaction to a slider from a right-hander, get a load yeah. of Javi Baez. Absolutely. <laughs> Best chips in salsa, Amigos and Kirkwood. I would agree with that. Really good. I have not been to Amigos either. Really I good. Either. Yeah, really good. Good to know. I need to put together a master list of restaurants in town that I've never been to. I posted that on my Instagram story yesterday because my friends and I are going out to dinner and we were thinking there's probably new places that have opened, but we haven't been out in, so we don't even know where to go anymore. So we need to put together a master list. You guys been to Palmano's? I've never yes. been, but I would love to go. I heard Phenomenal. it's the best. When we finish number one in the ratings, that's uh, that's where we're going. I'm taking the, the whole show to Palmano's. Is that right? Yep. How far away are, are you guys from number one? Uh, we're number three. Okay. That's that's well done. Good job, Emily. Yeah, thank that's, you. That's where it happened when Emily took over. You guys so, skyrocketed. Yeah, we need to skyrocket a little bit more, but we'll be all right. Okay. To the moon. Tell your friends. To the moon, yeah. Emily. Yeah. Tell your friends. Don't listen to those other guys down the hall. Listen to us. You guys put together a delightful program. Thank you. No problem. So that's adorable. Dan. I, I laugh you. at it. I think it's funny. Not everybody here thinks it's funny, but I think it is. <laughs> Here we go. One day, I want Dan to sit in during Uncle Randy. Oh, I, I, when you weren't here and we did Uncle Randy, I actually asked to bring it back for another segment. I would love to hear Cousin Dan's takes on, on Uncle Randy's advice. It's, uh, it's interesting. <laughs> it's his alter ego. It's really what he wants to be. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Hey, what Cardinal player that you're not counting on are you counting on for the second half of the season? We'll give you ours. We want your mic drops. We want your texts. So who is not performing now that you say, okay, that player is going to perform in the stretch in the second half, and I'm planning on it. That's your next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And we want you to weigh in here. Aside from Edmund, Goldie, Arenado, and Yachty. So aside from those four, which Cardinal position player are you thinking will be able to do something in the latter half of the season? We played 18 games, so we have, what, about 140 left, something like that. So who are you thinking? Sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. Everything that's wonderful is what I feel when we're together. Who are you feeling Sunshine, lollipops about? Michelle, who you got? That song is really long and going for it, huh? Yeah. I love it. Um... My pick is Dylan Carlson. So far, what we've seen out of Dylan Carlson has shown you signs of what he could develop into. He's hitting 246 right now, 362 OBP. He has a 526 slug. He is second on the team in RBI. He leads the team with triples. He's got three home runs. That triple he had the other day on the broadcast, they said it would have been a home run in seven other ballparks. He seems like a guy that is going to be worthy of the designation that John Mozalak gave him about you'll have to pry him from my cold dead hands. We haven't seen it consistently yet, but we're certainly seeing flashes of it. I think once he gets a little bit more seasoning on him, he will only continue to blossom. And so later in the season, that's someone that I'm going to be counting on. I'll go with Paul DeYoung. I think there's been some signs that 
uh, he's kind of coming out of it. And I also think that he's so streaky. He's a very streaky hitter where you look up and he's got three home runs one week and hitting the ball and doing some different things that you have expected. So I'll go with Paul DeYoung, the Cardinals shortstop. He's already had five home runs. I mean, there's no reason to think he's not going to hit 15 to 20, drive in 80, something like that. So I, I would go with Paul DeYoung. Guys, I'm going to be an outlier here and go for a guy that has not played and may not play, but I think he will, and I think he'll play well. Last year, Harrison Bader had a 779 OPS, 336 on base, 443 slug. And I'm going back to his rookie year when he had the 756 OPS. I think that Harrison Bader is capable of delivering offense for the Cardinals that they don't have right now and substantially lengthening their offense in the seven or eight spot in the lineup. So I'm going to say that Harrison Bader returns to that form that he enjoyed for most of last year, aside from the five strikeout game. And I'm going to say that Harrison Bader is the guy so that you can have that lineup of the first four that we mentioned. And then I'm with you, Dan, I think, uh, or one of you two. I think you've got Molina and, or rather, DeYoung and Carlson as your five, six hitters. By the way, looked up a stat here through the 528 total team games so far in Major League Baseball. This is where baseball is right now. This is incredible to me. There's been 4,053 hits. Okay, 4,053 hits. There's been 4,821 strikeouts. That's crazy. Wow. That's, that's not good for baseball. No. no, not at all. All right, your text, 65780. I, and I have a bunch, Randy, if you uh, want them. Yes, let's hear them. Tyler O'Neill, he's someone that I need to rely on. If he can't produce, then the Cardinals need to make a move. The thing about Tyler is he's never come off of that high strikeout rate. And I know the Cardinals in baseball, they don't care about strikeouts or batting average. But I just think that Tyler... And it might happen, but he just needs to get his bat on the ball more because when he does, the ball goes. Well, you guys are talking about I couldn't use Goldie, Arenado, Edmund, and Molina, right? Correct. So you got to go somewhere yeah. else. And I think a lot of people are saying, "Why aren't you guys saying those guys? We just tuned in. We're not. We're taking them out of the equation. Yes. We're counting on them. They're Correct. they're givens. So um, you got to look for somebody else. Again, I, you can make a case for a lot. Of, I mean, Justin Williams is another guy. Yeah. He gets more comfortable as he's you know he's shown some promise here in the last seven to ten days. That's another one that you say. Well, as he gets more comfortable and has a chance to play every day, which he is, maybe he's a guy that gets hot. You, you just don't know. It wouldn't break my heart, because I've got Bader, to have an outfield of Williams, Bader, and Carlson. Uh, or Carlson, I mean. And take your chance with that for a while until they prove they, they can't do it. But, but Justin Williams... Dan, he is getting better and better and better. Well, I think the way that Mike is going to do this, it, when you get Bader back, O'Neal back, you're going to have Williams, you're going to have Carlson, is that's going to certainly limit Carpenter's playing time. Mm -hmm. Okay, so for fans that are frustrated watching Matt Carpenter, I get it. But now you've got you know a scenario where Tommy Edmonds is going to play every day. Where's he going to play? He's going to play second base. Where's Carpenter playing? Playing second base. Um, where I think what Mike would do is that you just ride the hot hand. If somebody gets yep. hot, you put and Dean, right? Even Dean. Yep. I mean, I, I'd give him a run and say, look, if you're if you're hot and you have a game, you go three for four. You're back out there the next day. That last guy wasn't outside of Dylan Carlson, who if he has a bad streak, good streak, he's out there every day. Mm -hmm. To me, everybody else, and that includes O'Neill. You get hot, you play. If you don't, you sit. And you just write, this is currently constructed with what you have. I think you just write hot hands. 
a lot of people texting in Austin Dean saying that they yeah. think he's going to be the guy. From the 573, can I pick Mike Schilt? Hopefully by the second half he'll stop penciling in Carpenter so much. I love the guy, but woof, it's been rough. Woof. Buzz. Yeah. Buzz, your girlfriend. Woof. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. It, it's uh, and, and, Dean, as you mentioned earlier, there are limitations now because of the injuries to the lineup that Mike Schilt can toss out there. It, and it's just... Now, he could do things where you have Edmund play every day and you start giving Dean a run. Now, you're going to be, you know, you're going to lose a little bit defensively there, but you lose a little bit defensively when you put Carpenter in second and you put Tommy Edmund in right. Tommy Edmund, by the way, has played great in right, but I think he's, ideally, you want him playing every day at second base. You're a better team when he plays there every day at second base. Absolutely. And that's it. I'll still go back to what I was saying before. What? So what are we... 18 games in yep. of 162. What's the percentage of that of the season? We're Just still a little single, over 10%. Yeah, so we're 10%. All right, we got 90% to go. They've given Carpenter a run. I think you've seen enough for a while, maybe, mm-hmm. especially when you get healthy and he's going to sit. That's just the way it's going to be. You have nine 16-game segments left. Yeah. Break it down that way. Yep. I'm with Randy. I'm going with Harrison Bader. He's pro- probably going crazy because he can't play right now. I expect him to come back playing like his hair is on fire. And I hope he doesn't need Tommy John. He's still dealing with the forearm situation. It was supposed to be a four-week injury. Now it's turning into a six-week. So I just hope that he's okay and can come back and be productive this year. Thanks for your text. And we're going to do this again at the top of the 9 o'clock hour. So if you would like to leave us a mic drop, a player that is not named Edmund, Goldie, Arenado, or Yachty that you're counting on for the Cardinals in 2021. We'll do that again at 9. We appreciate your texts as well. Next up, though, there was an interesting comment from Tyler Bozak after Saturday's game about how it was difficult to stay aggressive when the Blues have a 2 nothing lead after a period. David Perron talked about that, and we'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Well, the Blues haven't played since last Saturday when they fell to the Arizona Coyotes, and after that game, Tyler Bozak, who scored one of the Blues goals, played really well, was asked why the Blues lost their aggression after the first period. Yeah, I think it's weird. Whenever you, you know, get a couple goal cushion, um, it's kind of difficult to keep that aggressiveness. It's something that you should do. And, you know, the best teams stay aggressive and, you know, they want to keep keep pounding it on and keep putting more goals in the net. But it's a hard thing to do. The other team has a push always, um, you know, especially at home and, uh, yeah, they got uh, that big power play goal there. Uh, good shot. I thought maybe we could have had a couple more power play opportunities that were missed. Um, but, yeah, that's that's just the way it goes. Um, that's hockey. And so you aren't as aggressive. And yesterday, Michelle asked David Perron about Craig Ruby's comments. That at the end of the day, the Blues are fragile. Well, he's right. Like, we, we're really uh, in tune with our coaching staff. I think they've done an ex- excellent job of uh, always providing us with what we need uh, at all different times. And we haven't always responded the right way, but I know they're doing the right, right things. Uh, I think fragile, for, for me, it means that we come out with the game with the right mindset, with the right attitude. We play the right way in the first period, the last, those last two games. And we just don't find a way to sustain it in, in the second period. So we just we just break a little too easily. And 
it's really not um, they prepare us right because we come out the right way. We, we do the things they need to do. And we expect, obviously, the other team to push in the second. We know their coach is probably going to go in there and either uh, give them trouble a little bit or the players talk within themselves. They know they have to be better. And we just got to find a way to, to meet that and, and hopefully exceed that. And um, our third periods have, have been fine as well. It's just uh, when, we, when we've when we had those good starts, we just didn't sustain it. And obviously, it's, it's not acceptable at this time of the year. But I think that's what he means. And um, it's, it's a never-ending process. I brought it up with you before um it's always you go back to rank the next day and you have to keep working david is a veteran player and he gets it and he has played on fragile teams and at the moment that's what the blues are they need to change their mindset and they do need to be more aggressive and less fragile i appreciate the self-awareness out of both tyler bozak and david perron david perron just saying chief is right we are playing like we're fragile right now when i listened back again because that's the the second or third time I've heard that Tyler Bozak cut, he says the best teams stay aggressive while also acknowledging that the blues don't. So he's acknowledging that they're not playing great right now. And when we spoke to David Prime, I think it was two weeks ago, David Prime kept saying that the team needs to stick together. They need to stick together. There's been talk about the fact that the, coaches words and their their game plans may not be getting to the players and i just wonder where the roadblock is what what is happening internally with those guys that they can't sustain this energy or this aggressiveness or that they're not hearing what is being preached to them there's got to be something that whether as david mentioned that they talk to each other and they figure it out but at least they're aware that something is amiss i think one of the things that has to occur in that room is that a voice needs to be heard among the, the 20 guys that are playing. you got 12 forwards, you got 6D, you got a couple of goalies. And somebody has to say, guys, we aren't as good as we think we are. We have to go out there and we have to be aggressive. We have to be at our very best to win games. We can't. There, there are teams out there, the Canadians in the 70s, the Penguins in the early 90s, the Red Wings in the late 90s, the the Edmonton Oilers, there are teams out there that could have thrown, not these Edmonton Oilers, but the ones in the 80s, they could have just thrown pucks out on the ice and won games. Blues aren't that talented. And they have to know that talent alone is not enough. They've got a gift. And what they have to do is they have to refine that gift and they have to make it as good as it can be. I think it's going to be interesting with Colorado uh, with their postponement. They didn't get back on the ice till Wednesday. Then they traveled here. And now you have these games coming up. The Blues one point behind Arizona. Final spot. Arizona has played three more games. Colorado second in the division. Two points behind Vegas. But I, I look at when you have these postponements, like do they come out rested, ready, is it there's some anxiousness with it? Like, just come out and play. Like, go at him. And that's what Joey talked about a couple of years ago when the Blues were going down the stretch in 2019. I asked him, I said, would you rather practice or play and just never practice? Because they were playing literally every other day. So it was game, off day, game, off day, game, off day. He said you'd much rather just have a game every other day rather than having to have three or four days off in a row and lose any momentum that you had and what what did the avalanche do i mean they had momentum going in then they have the pause and now you come back out i i just always think that that's fascinating to see how teams deal with that and if i'm the blues i'm saying look they've been paused you know they had the one practice now they're here get after it let's like the first five ten minutes throw everything we got at them and in terms of being aggressive in the second period we did ask david about tyler bozak's comments about it being hard to maintain aggressiveness i mean the 
it does change a little bit as far as you know you're up to goal. There's no point to try and force an extra play to, that's maybe going to ger- generate a, a breakaway or a two-on-one, a scoring chance that would come out of nowhere where let's say if you're down 3-1 with five minutes left in the third, you're probably trying to play and see. Uh, you're kind of playing percentages every time you touch the puck. Where where should I put the puck to uh, to make our team better for it? And um, sometimes it, it makes us... Uh, Slowly and slowly, by not putting the pucks necessarily in the right spots, our forecheck is a staple of our team. And if we come off of that just a little bit, it just opens up more space for the other team. And uh, I, I can't know exactly what he's talking about other than that's what I'm thinking he's talking about. Um, and again, like the fact that the other team, like I said, are, are going to come out a little bit more hungry, a little bit more pissed off. Uh, combined with that, sometimes it, it can really push, push you on your heels and they find a way to get a, a goal, a lucky goal, whatever, it changes the whole momentum. So um, it's still like good teams find a way to not let that happen. We, we've done that plenty of times on both sides. Uh, over over my career, I've seen it on both sides. and um, it's, a, it's a fine line, and uh, I know that we can grab it. Sounds like a guy that's admitting that the team has been tentative yeah. at times. Yeah. And I go back, and maybe this is, I don't know what Craig Berube's approach is, but... I go back to the greatest show on turf, and it, it applies to every sport. Mike Martz's credo was play fast and be aggressive. That's the thing. If they play fast and be aggressive, they'll be good. You, in any any contact sport, you play fast and be aggressive, you've got a much better chance to win the game. And the struggles that they face, especially in the second period this season, if they know the other team is going to come out hungry and pissed off, you should, at this stage of the game, be able to anticipate that and hopefully make the adjustments. Yeah. Or match their well, intensity, at least. Exactly. Match that same energy. And that was the last thing we talked with David about yesterday, was if the Blues set the tempo with the players they have as a healthy team now, the, the talent that they do have on hand, if they set the tempo and take it to the opposition, they're going to compete with every team in the league. There isn't a team that if the Blues are playing their heavy game that is going to automatically beat them. So they, they have a chance. It's, it's up to them. It's up to the players. It's up to the players' hearts. How many games do you have left now? Probably not enough. And how many are at home? Let me check it for you here. Dan. All right. I should, have, I should not have put you on the spot no, like that, okay, Randall. Because, uh, no, it's, I, I should know. It's, it's one of those things. Okay, out in the Honda West, your Blues have played 43. So 13 games left. Yeah. And I think nine, maybe, eight at home, something like that. So, uh, But home... They've been better on the road. I know, but you go 500 on the road, you win two more at home, you're in. That'd be good. I would take that. Yeah. Take my chances. One, two, three, four, because five. Because look who you're playing. Yeah. Seven, seven at home, I'm sorry. Seven of you, 13. Seven at home, six on the road. So look at, yeah, so you got you go three and three on the road, you win, you go five and two at home, you can be awfully close, get yeah. you in. I'd like to get another, just one more win in there. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I'm just saying it. You'd yeah, be on the, the border yeah. of it. Yeah. Well, they got to, they got to play well. They've, they've got to, they can't take periods off. They can't take second periods off. That's ultimately what it comes down to. It's so interesting too. You have three with Colorado and then back to back with Minnesota at Minnesota. Not easy to do. No. Your season might be in this next, uh, you know, roughly week or so. What you do in these five games. Could be. Yep. I don't think there's any doubt. Five games between now and next Thursday night, Colorado, 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 at Minnesota, at Minnesota. 
I, I'm with you there 100%, Dan, because you have to beat Colorado, and obviously Minnesota is a team that is beatable for the Blues. That's a great call. For a team that's on the cusp of the playoffs and should be in the playoffs, it doesn't feel great if you're a fan listening to these discussions and watching this team, knowing that they have problems staying aggressive, that they're being called fragile, and that their work ethic is being put into question. It doesn't really make you feel great when you know some of the teams that they have to compete against to earn that playoff spot. Do you want to go Sunshine Lollipop, so? Okay, we let's can do, do it. it. Let's do 2011, it. 2011-2012, LA Kings made the playoffs last day of the season. Then they roll through and win the Stanley Cup. Well, sunshine and lollipops could be two years ago, too, with the blues. Whoop, that's not the right button. There we go. (laughs) I think the first button might be more accurate. Probably, yeah, more appropriate, yeah. Warning. That was a Freudian slip, I think, Randy. It was. I think you accidentally meant to sound the alarm. (laughs) That's where I think most of us are at. Yeah, probably. This next week will tell you, maybe. Three with Colorado, back-to-back at Minnesota. Randy, before we go to break, there's a question on the text line. Can I pose it to you? Yes, you may. Uh, Randy, when two vegans get into an argument, is it still called a beef? (laughs) I love our listeners. Terrible. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) What's it called? I don't know. A broccoli? (laughs) That's what I was thinking. Really? (laughs) Asparagus is too long. Yeah, it is. Broccoli. A beet. A beet. (laughs) We got a beet. My brother and his girlfriend are vegan. Them. Oh, man. Vegan is impossible. They're, they're, you know what? They're going to the fridge late at night and getting a chicken strip or something from Raising Cane's. <laughs> Just <laughs> a solo chicken strip yeah, in the fridge? Nobody's, nobody's really a vegan. I was a vegetarian for about a year in college, and I tried to be a vegan. Shout out to all the vegans. You have unparalleled discipline. Cheese is on everything. You go out to a restaurant, there's cheese on everything. Mm-hmm. And cheese is great. If you cannot eat cheese, I have all the respect in the world for you. Because I'm, I can't do it. You're a better person than I no am. No cheese, no eggs, no meat, no no singular chicken strip from raising canes late at night. Can't have it. Well, no toasted. The thing wraps. is, if nobody knows, do you really have it? Like, so you go. It's one thirty in the morning. Everybody else in the house is asleep, and you you tiptoe over to the fridge and you say, "Okay, well, there's one raising canes chicken finger there. Yeah, I'm having it. Everybody else is asleep." <laughs> If they don't know, did it happen? Is a an argument between two vegans called a Brussels spout? <laughs> Dan is just shaking his head. This is great. I'm just taking it in. We got the fight coming up next on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Character and Smallman with Danny Mack here on 101 ESPN. It's 837. That time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And it's time for the fight, one of our favorite segments of the day. And Steve is joining us. He's going to be Randy's competition today. How are you doing so far this morning, Steve? Pretty good. How about you guys? We're doing great. Doing great, Steve. What do you do for a living? 
I actually work for um, one of the uh, cable companies in their corporate office. Awesome. Well, welcome into the show, and good luck against Randy. Thank you. You got it. All right, Steve. Good luck. Question number one. Happy 35th birthday to Marshawn Lynch. Beast Mode was drafted 12th overall in the 2007 NFL Draft by which team? The Seattle Seahawks, the Oakland Raiders, or the Buffalo Bills? Buffalo. This day, 2010, Oklahoma quarterback Sam Bradford was picked first overall by the Rams in the NFL draft. Bradford hasn't had a pro contract since 2018. Uh, Who was the last team he played for? Was it Minnesota? Was it Arizona? Was it Philly? I'm going to go with Arizona. Steve, the Blues play the Avalanche tonight. You can listen here on 101 ESPN. We have the pregame at 6. Alex Ferrario will get you started. Who is their captain? Is it Gabriel Landenskog, Nathan McKinnon, or Eric Johnson? I'm going to go McKinnon. And Stan the Man got his 3,000th career hit at which ballpark? Dodger Stadium, Wrigley Field, or Sportsman's Park? Let's just go Sportsman's. All right. Checking our score here. Getting Randy's attention. Steve, are you in the office right now? Or are you working from home? I'm actually working from home. Okay, good. Do you like working from home or would you rather be in the office? I think it's got its perks both ways. Yeah, sure it does. I mean, you're always off at the same time no matter what. Gotcha. At home and then. Okay. Well, you can get away with things at home, too. That's good. Right. Hey, uh, say hello to uh, Randy. Randy, say hello to Steve. Hey, Steve, how you doing? Hey, Randy, how's it going? Everything's good. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Thank you. All right, Randy, ready to go? Ready. Happy 35th birthday to Marshawn Lynch. Beast Mode was drafted 12th overall in the 2007 NFL Draft by which team? He was drafted by the Buffalo Bills. This day, 2010, Oklahoma quarterback uh, Sam Bradford picked first overall by the Rams in the NFL Draft. He hasn't had a pro contract since 2018. The last team he played for, who was it? Was the, uh, the Gridbirds, the Arizona Cardinals. Randy, the Blues play the Avalanche tonight. As you know, you can listen to all the action on 101 ESPN, starting with pregame with Alex Ferrario at 6 p.m. Hashtag LGB. That's right. Who? And Tarasenko. And Tarasenko. Hopefully Tarasenko, too. Yeah. Uh, Randy, who is the Avalanche is captain? The Avalanche is captain. Nathan McKinnon. And uh, Stan the Man got his 3,000th career hit at which ballpark? Um, he got it at Wrigley Field. Ooh, close fight. Close fight. Emily, bring it. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. I'm sorry, Steve. This was a close one. But Randy, as he celebrates so humbly in his victory. He Not ju- humble at all. He just edged out. And three. even after that question, I was second-guessing myself with staying the man. That's really? all right. Oh, man. Well, he beat you three to two. It was very close. Very close. Did miss on Landis Gog? It was Landis Yes, you Gog. did. You're right. Well, well, that was the answer to question number three. Yeah. Landis Gog is the captain of the Avalanche. But let's circle back to question number one. Marshawn Lynch was drafted 12th overall in the 2007 NFL Draft by the Buffalo Bills. I remember 
him saying that he thought he was just going to New York. He was thinking he was going <laughs> to hang out with Jay-Z, be in the city. And when he landed in Buffalo, all he saw was slush on the ground. He had no idea where he was going. No idea. This date, 2010, <laughs> Sam Bradford was picked by the Rams number one overall. He finished up his career with the Arizona Cardinals. Sam Bradford made over $130 million Ooh. in his career, never won more than seven games in a season as a quarterback. Set up to fail. Wow. Wow. You want to give number four since I already gave number sure. three? Sure. So Landis Cog is the, uh, the Avalanche's captain. You both missed that. Stan, the man, got his 3,000th career hit at which ballpark it was, Wrigley Field. And, Randy, we had this question, uh, I, I guess, about two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Do you remember who gave it up? Uh, somebody with a ski at the end. Mo Drabowski. See? <laughs> and both guys of Polish descent, Stan the Man and Mo Drabowski. And I don't know if you guys knew this, but he went in the late 1980s. Both went to Poland together. He gave up the hit. He got the hit. They both went to Poland. I think it was like 87 or 88 to teach people about the game of baseball. That's cool. Yeah. So there it is. Mo Drabowski at Wrigley gave that up. Thank you, Steve. Hey, thanks for having me. We appreciate it. Good to have you with us on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk some blues hockey with our friend, blues insider from The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford, is next on 101 oh, ESPN. baby. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Always good to talk to Jeremy Rutherford on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And uh, first of all, JR, good morning. Second of all, I was just posting on Instagram and I went past a Schnooks Instagram post about their Wayne Gretzky rotisserie chicken. You were the one that, <laughs> that popularized the idea that, hey, it's got to be awesome if Wayne Gretzky loves it. <laughs> That's so funny. I remember that story talking to uh, Wayne and he was in town for the golf tournament, his uh, son-in-law or daughter's boyfriend uh, in town and i said wayne what do you like about coming to st louis and he said you know i go to schnooks and i get those uh, rotisserie chickens <laughs> i about fell out of my chair as wayne gretzky's telling me he goes to schnooks to get the chicken that was awesome uh well the chicken there is awesome so i'm not surprised <laughs> that he loves it um jr great piece at the at the athletic as always about the blues this time about their fragility and what they need to do to fight for a playoff spot. I thought it was so interesting that you talked about how Chief is taking a step back because maybe his other members of the coaching staff could get through to these guys. Is there really anything Chief or anyone on the coaching staff could do to get through to the players right now? Or do you think it's simply something that they need to self-motivate? I think it's on them. I think this coaching staff is a good staff that uh, communicates well, gives them good instruction, puts them in, in, a, in a spot to win. Uh, and I think this is a veteran team that knows what's in front of them, Michelle, and that can get it done. They just need to go out and execute. And so, uh, you know, in the past, Craig Bruby, he, he's really uh, sp spoken well with these players in terms of what they need to do to get it done. But I think it just got to a point where, you know, they weren't executing and he finally got fed up with it, whatever it was a few weeks ago, and, and just started calling this team fragile on a regular basis. And I thought what was most alarming is uh, they, they really didn't respond. I mean, except for that three-game winning streak, uh, I don't think that the response has been there that you'd like to see after a coach calls you fragile. So 13 games left. You guys have laid it out on the table. I've been listening. Uh, they've got to get it done. What do you think about this? I was saying that this next week maybe is – 
the make or break time. I, I don't like to go in absolutes, but it might be when you look at uh, three with the Avalanche and then back to back on the road with Minnesota. Well, to me, Dan, uh, and you can look at the, the schedule the rest of the way any way you want to. But to me, when you've had this much time off and you're healthy and you're facing a Colorado team uh, that obviously has a playoff spot, they're one of the better teams in the league. They've they've had a situation with COVID where they haven't been able to practice a lot. They finally got on the ice yesterday. They flew to St. Louis last night. Just like you guys were saying, if they can't take it to this team, and you can't see it in this game tonight that this Blues team wants to be in the playoffs. They want to finish on a high note last 13 games. You know, to me, you can look ahead at the, the rest of the schedule, the Minnesotas, the Vegases, the Kings, all those guys. But to me, it comes down to not just the outcome of this game, but how they play. And I just think that you have to be able to see it. If you don't see it, then where's that flicker going to be in the rest of the games? Jeremy Rutherford is with us on 101 ESPN. JR, from your perspective, if the Blues put their most talented group of 12 forwards, this is presuming health, 12 forwards, six defensemen, goalie on the ice, if they put that group on the ice, does that group's physical skill set and build match what Craig Berube wants? I don't think so, uh, but I don't know that that's necessarily possible. You know, the game has changed a little bit. Even in the two years, Randy, since the Blues won the Stanley Cup, I think the game has changed a little bit. But also, uh, because you have attrition, you know, guys are moving on, the Bowmeisters, the Steens, and those guys move on. Now you bring up this younger crop of players, and it's it's the Kairos, and, you know, Robert Thomas has played a couple of years now and he was on that team, but I think it's a younger group of players that they come up and they, they want to play a rush game. And I think that's what the blues are in right now is, is this uh, mixture of Craig Berube and his style and what, what's worked, the forecheck, the cycle, wear teams down to now maybe they want to be more of a rush team. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what they do uh, this off season. Uh, but in terms to answer your question, um, can they be as physical and, and demanding and, and skating as hard at every shift uh, start, stop, kind of the old Ken Hitchcock style that, that Craig Ruby has uh, partly adopted. I don't know that that roster is there anymore. JR, one thing that we've been talking about, whether it was with Kelly Chase or just from other people that have been in the Blues organization and understand how important the leadership was with this team, everyone points to Jay Bowmeister, Alex Petrangelo, and maybe most importantly, Alexander Steen not being in that dressing room anymore. How big of a transition was that to go from that leadership group to this leadership group? Yeah, just huge. It really was. And, you know, you talk about each one of those uh, guys, uh, you know, Bowmeister had a different type of leadership. He didn't say much, but when he said something, they listened. You know, they listened to Alexander Steen. He'd been in NHL locker room his entire life. And, you know, not to go off the deep end here, but we, we wrote and we talked about the differences in that locker room at that time. Guys were butting heads. Make no buts about it there. But they found a way to come together for the common goal. They looked around the room, saw what they had, saw the opportunity that they had, and they pulled it together and they won the game or won the Stanley Cup. And so now you have a situation where, you know, I don't think you have the same issues in the locker room that you had in 2018 when things weren't going well. But do you have the leadership to say, guys, we have the talent to make the playoffs. We, we have the talent to play with some of these teams. We just have to do it. And to me, while there's good leadership in there, the O'Reillys, the Shens, so on and so forth, you know, I think that they took a, a big hit with the loss of some of those guys that you just mentioned. What do you think, JR? They make the playoffs? I'm curious what you think with this uh, few amount of games left. Yeah, they, you know, it looks like they really could still because uh, Arizona just can't put it together except for when they play the Blues. They're 1-7 and seven in their last eight games, and now the Blues have four games in hand, Dan. So uh, the Blues' schedule is a little tougher. you got three against Colorado, five against Minnesota. 
a couple against Vegas. But you look at this Arizona schedule, guys, uh, four against the Sharks, three against the Kings, and then two against Vegas, which clinched last night. So, you know, are they really going to be into these games down the stretch? Uh, You'd have to question that. So, you know, I think they still can because of the games in hand, because you got a a stretch of uh, off days here, and now they realize what's in front of them. For whatever reason, this group of players seems to be better when they realize what's in front of them and when it's crunch time, you know, right or wrong, that's, that's how they play. And so I do think there's still a chance. But as I said earlier, it's going to come down tonight, not necessarily the W or the L, but how they play. Like, where is it? Where's the belief? Where is the response to when your coach calls you fragile every other night? JR, one other thing, and I know you've mentioned this on this these airwaves, but not on our show. Can you give us what your take is on Craig Bruby's conversation with Vladimir Tarasenko between last week's game against Arizona and tonight against Colorado? Yeah, and I think um, you know Craig's done this with a number of players. Uh, obviously, it's it's more of a headline when it's with Vladimir Tarasenko. But the Vladimir Tarasenko we've watched, guys, recently, everybody wanted to give him kind of a grace period, and I think that was deserved coming off his three shoulder surgeries. Uh, but but I think here recently, you just haven't seen anything from him. And it's not just the shot, the scoring, the goals, helping the team win, scoring a clutch goal. It's it's skating. It's it's being in the tv screen you know when you're watching the play and you know that's legs that's conditioning that's stuff that that should be there that's effort and we haven't seen it so craig Bruby told us a couple days ago that he had a conversation with vladdy uh, about that and he wants to see more of that from him and i think uh, in talking to vladdy yesterday he acknowledged that he thinks that conversation could help too so you know why in pro sports it sometimes comes down to a conversation between the coach and the player to see that i don't know uh, but perhaps uh, this time it'll help number 91 JR, if nothing else, it'll be interesting tonight. It'll be uh, an intriguing game to watch to see how the Blues respond, especially with the, the spot that Colorado is in with the, dealing with COVID-19. We always love hearing from you. Thank you, sir. We'll talk to you soon. Yep, thanks, guys. That is Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic, and you need to read his piece if you haven't yet at The Athletic. And if you haven't signed up uh, with he and Katie Wu, your St. Louis sports are really covered well by The Athletic, and we'd advise you to sign up for that. Coming up next on 101 ESPN... We'd asked you earlier, aside from Edmund, Goldie, Arenado, and Yachty, what Cardinal position player are you counting on to help them out the rest of the way? And you have a lot of choices. You can send us a mic drop with the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. Or, if you'd like, you can also send us a text on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 your reaction to what you think the Cardinals, what Cardinal player can help out in the rest of the season. Next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Bum, 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 bum. 901 in St. Louis. You can keep going, Dan. No, uh, I'm good. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed I Rolex jeweler. You oh. lost a bet last week and like had to a sing. Virgin <laughs> touched for the very first Flashbacks, time. Randy. Yeah. Dan, he was upset about the timing issues in the beginning. He really was, and it was on you. Not it was on please. nobody Not else. Please. It was on you. I was thinking it was on Madonna's band, but no, it was on me. No. There's no doubt. Tomorrow, I'm going to be at the Rally House in Chesterfield from noon to 2. If you wear your favorite jersey when you walk in, your own favorite jersey that you have... I'll be giving out $10 Rally House gift cards while supplies last to anybody wearing any jersey. That's right. 
even if you're wearing a Tom Brady, even if you're wearing a Nick Kiprios, I will provide you with a $10 gift card from Rally House. Is that right? Yep. So if I come in dressed as a uh, announcer, that doesn't count. No, it does. Because you are a member of the team. If you were a Niger Morgan, you will get the $10 gift card. But you said you have to wear jerseys. Well, it's you, not, I'm not dressing as a... I don't put jerseys on as a... But because you're a member of the team, there's a broadcaster jersey. So you wear your... Is that uh, right? Your, your Bally you have a Sports uniform? Midwest. What if, Randy, someone wears an L.A. Rams jersey and the back says, I heart Kroenke? Do they get a gift card? Yes. It's part of the deal. But you know what? What? doesn't uh, preclude me from doing something mean. Heckling. What yep. would you do? Heckle. Hmm. I would roll my eyes and say, are you serious? They do have those in L.A., by the way. Anyway, Friday, tomorrow, noon to 2, Randy at Rally House, Chesterfield Commons. Check it out. You're going to be doing some call-ins from there? Going to be doing call-ins and everything. It's going to be awesome. I'll be tuned in. Hey, we wanted to hear from you. What player that you aren't counting on now are you thinking can do something for the Cardinals in the last 90% of the season? We're about 10% through. So... What player do you think can make a difference for the Cardinals? And we ruled out because they're already doing things and we we are counting on them. We're all counting on Edmund. We're counting on Goldie. We're counting on Arenado. We're counting on Yachty. So those four are off of your table. Michelle said Dylan Carlson. Dan said Paul DeYoung. I said uh, Harrison Bader. And you can say whomever you want. Let's go to Alec with a mic drop on 101 ESPN. Hey guys and girls, Alec here, president of the Tyler O'Neill fan club <laughs> and also chairman of the He Is Not Bad and He Will Be One of Our Best Players Association. <laughs> I think Tyler Bro-Neal will end up being one of our best players. I've said it before and left mic drops and obviously he's not panned out, but still on that fan club. He's going to come back and be an exciting player for us once he uh, can get healthy. The president of the Tyler O'Neill fan club. Normally, presidents have a jam-packed day, so I appreciate Alec taking yeah. the time to probably a bunch of zooms. Yeah, a bunch of zooms to carve it out and talk to us. Yeah, Alec, good job. And one thing about Tyler O'Neill is he does have ability. When the when he hits the ball, it pops off the bat. Streaky. Uh, a lot of strikeouts here early on. That's been problematic for him. It's been problematic in his career. Uh, I think that's somebody you could look at. I went with DeYoung because I think he's streaky as well, but he's going to play every day. And it's going to be interesting when these guys all come back healthy. O'Neal, Williams, Dean, Bader, uh, anybody else I'm missing of this group? Lane Thomas, even I'll throw him in there. I I think they're just going to give guys runs. And if you get hot, you play. And if you don't, you sit. And I would put O'Neal in that group too. Now, I think the leash is longer with some of these guys, like a Williams who's shown some life here. I think he gets a little run and it's going to happen with Tyler O'Neill. They want to see him take it and run. So his, you know, the, the time period in which they get to show what they can do will be a little longer than others. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think O'Neill could make a little run here. They need him to. Yep. From the 815, my pick is Paul DeYoung. He needs to support Goldie and Arenado and help lengthen that lineup. That would be huge. Oh, it's massive. I, I got to wonder too, at some point when you're hit and miss with this, you know, they're, they're feast or famine, how much they shuffle the lineup. At what point do you start shuffling some lineups? And I think that's legitimate. You know, do you, and you could lengthen the lineup by putting Dylan Carlson second. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard a lot of people say it doesn't matter anymore with uh, switch hitters at the top. Matter of fact, Eduardo Perez said that on our show yesterday. 
It doesn't matter with the matchups, even with the three batter minimum. I'm not sure I necessarily agree. However, it would be fun to see Dylan either hit behind those guys or in front. And, and all of a sudden you're coming at looking at Edmund. I'll just throw it out there. Carlson, uh, Goldie, Arenado, DeYoung. That, that five is pretty good. Or even Yachty in there. And you have those two. And that's why we're talking about getting another guy going. Because if you can get another guy going, then all of a sudden you have seven hitters in your lineup. Right yeah. now, you've got three automatic outs. If you can get it down to two automatic outs, if you can get a guy hitting seventh that is a threat for you, it would make such a huge difference in this lineup. That's Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, it really is. You he's, know, when he's going and healthy, he's the quintessential number seven hitter. Even in, when he's in not today's game. going well, he's still a threat because yeah. if he walks into one, he hits a bomb. Right. From the 817, Justin Williams is my pick. He's been taking really good at bats with some legit power to all fields. Solid defensive outfielder. I've been impressed lately. I didn't realize he could play defense this well. He had one misplay in the homestand. Uh, ball kind of went off the heel of his glove or he overran it just a little bit, went off his forearm. He was in right field. I think he's played terrific defense. So I, I've been impressed with that. I didn't know if he would do that and can do that. And I didn't see it in spring training, but now I have. And yeah, that that part of his game has been really good. He made a couple good plays yesterday. He also made a play that cost them, yeah. which was on the relay. And it came down to a one-run game, and they lost. And here's a guy that didn't play in games last year on a consistent basis. It's been a long time since Justin Williams has been a regular player because he was hurt the year before that. Yep. So he, he might be a guy that's just getting into the groove. He's essentially developing at the major league level. Well, they're going to let him do that. Yeah. They're, they're going to give him a run. They have invested a lot of time into him and let it play out. And Sometimes it just takes guys getting just used to the big leagues and and having the understanding that if they go 0 for 3 or 0 for 4, they're going to be back in the lineup. I don't know if they think of it this way, but I look at it this way. I say, this is the outfielder we got for Tommy Pham. And we, we thought that he was, we, we thought he was good enough that we could trade Tommy Pham and get him back in the deal. So because he's at the major league level, I'm going to invest a little bit more in him. Yeah. And same thing with O'Neill with yep. Marco Gonzalez. Exactly. You know, yep. he gave up a pretty good pitcher to get him. You're going to, you're going to let it play out. Let's hear from Taylor on 101 ESPN. Got to 100% agree with Smallman here. We need Carlson to step up. And as she said, going to get a little more seasoning. Love to see him eventually in the two spots, like Goldie and Notto down to 3-4. Take that cleanup hitter pressure off the young. He can relax a little bit in the 5-6 uh, spot. And uh, hopefully O'Neal comes back strong and uh, Justin Williams keeps hitting the cover off the ball. I, I appreciate his mic drop, and I love how he talked about Carlson, but then as he's giving his answer, realizes that he has to pour hope into another guy and another <laughs> guy. There's a lot of options on this team for you to pour hope into that they're the guy that you can rely on as you move forward in the season. The other part of this, too, is Yachty being a middle-of-the-order bat. Yeah, I yeah. didn't anticipate that, and if that continues, then great, but you're asking a lot from a 38 year old catcher to do this for six months who is a 260 career hitter who's right at about 340 right now I, I think one of the problems i have i know one of the problems i have is that i still have confidence and you picked paul DeYoung, dan as your guy so you have a level of confidence in him too but i still believe that paul DeYoung is an effective offensive performer despite what we have seen I, i'm willing to write last year off to COVID. And this has not been a great start for him. But like you said, he still leads the team in home runs with five. And he, heck, we've played 10% of the season. I'm not saying he's going to hit 50 home runs, 
but he has hit 30 at the major league level before. If he has a 750, 775 OPS and hits 30 home runs, that's the kind of offensive performer that you need where they're going to hit him. I agreed. So I'm going Paul DeYoung. I know there's going to be some strikeouts along the way, but I know there's probably some runs, some streakiness that's going to allow him to get to at least 20 home runs. So I would do that. From the 217, Austin Dean is my dark horse. Nice. He's proved proved himself with consistent at-bats, and his fielding is stellar. And he wears number zero, which is just cool. Again, you on the zeros. We have more uh, mic drops, apparently. Well, actually, uh, what we're going to do is, oh. you know, we had Adam Wainwright on the show yesterday because it was Wednesday, and we have Wednesdays with Waino. And, uh, oh, we, we do have more, actually. Let's get Adam with us on 101 ESPN. If Bader can come back soon and be basically as productive as he was last year and play great defense in center field, that would be big for the Cardinals. Uh, you get Carlson to a corner spot, you get Edmund back to the infield, and you get Carpenter out of the everyday lineup. So uh, that's what I would look for. News you can use from Adam. He's right, too. Mm-hmm. If he if he performs what he did and did last year, and especially against left-handed pitching, no reason to think that would drop off. He's been good against lefties. Then he, he has those runs against lefties for sure. Can he improve against right-handed pitching? But you also you limit then the carpenter exposure, which is important because Tommy Edmond then plays every day at second base. So, guys, I will tell you that I have been to many, many Chick-fil-A's in the St. Louis metro area. Mm-hmm. I, I've been out to the uh, location in Chesterfield. I've been out to the ro- location in Richmond Heights, out in St. Peter's. So I, I've been around, you know. But my usual spot, and I know probably Dan's usual spot for Chick-fil-A, is the De Pere location. And I think we were, my wife was there yesterday there for the go. kiddos. And um, Mike and Dave are great out there. And when I come through the drive through regular listeners to the fast lane, uh, back in the day, they they would say, oh, hey, Randy, how you doing? And they all listened to the 4 o'clock fight. Well, now Mike is uh, with us every week, Wednesdays, with Wayno, Chick-fil-A sponsoring that. And Mike has a mic drop for us on 101 ESPN. Hey, Randy, got you guys on into Chick-fil-A kitchen today. Sounding great. Keep up the good work, fellas and ladies. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Adorable. Thank you, Mike. Um, speaking of chicken, Randy, a text coming in for you. What do you call a cow with no legs? What do you call a cow with no legs? What is this? Halloween? I don't know what. Ground beef. <laughs> well done. I like this a lot. Dan, what funny. is this Halloween? Did you have to do that as a kid, trick or treat with the jokes? Because on the ill side, we didn't for have sure. to do that. We just rang yeah. the doorbell and we got the candy. I would have preferred that. Yeah, it was no very jokes. nerve-wracking to go and do your joke, but you always had to have you had to have a joke. Oh, and you know what? I can tell you firsthand experience when you do a joke and there is no response whatsoever. Heartbreaking. What what adult would not give a kid a some I'm kind of response? About kids. I'm talking about bad. adults. Adults not giving other adults a reaction about. to their joke. Yeah. Well, sometimes the adult needs to have a better joke. No, I, I hey. If you're an adult out there and you don't give a reaction or you're tough on kids, that's not right. No, you should always just, oh, that's a good one, and then you pile in the, the candy into their sack. Yeah, that would be good. You should have a fake laugh in your back pocket ready to go for the kids on, on Halloween night. <laughs> yeah. You slayed that. Great job. Yeah. You remember the old uh, Reds and Tigers pitcher, Simone? Mm-hmm. So if the pitcher from the right? Nationals no. get together with the uh, talk show host from ESPN, so you have Fetty Shanae Alfredo. <laughs> it's coming up later. 
Killing me, Smalls, at 9.30. He's killing me with these jokes. Coming up on 101 ESPN, our friend Benjamin Hockman from the Post-Dispatch has a new book coming out next week. It's called... 11 and 11, a hometown hero, LaRusse's last ride in red, and a miracle World Series for the St. Louis Cardinals. And uh, he's going to celebrate 10 years with this book since the Cardinals won that 2011 World Series. Benjamin Hockman, columnist from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle, Dan, and Randy on 101 ESPN and our friend Benjamin Hockman, columnist from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, is joining us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Benjamin has a new book out starting next week. You'll be able to get 11 in 11, a hometown hero, LaRusse's last ride in red, and a miracle World Series for the St. Louis Cardinals, and you can learn more about it at 11in11book.com. Benjamin, great to have you with us. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing really well. How are you, Randy? Everything's great. I want to start with this because we've been asking people this morning, and I hate to put you on the spot, but aside from the top four in the lineup, so so aside from Edmund, Goldie, Arenado, Yachty, what other position player do you feel like you can count on during the remaining 90% of the season to help the Cardinals out? That's a great question. I'd go with Dylan Carlson, the switch hitter. Uh, I really think he's going to have a breakout year. I don't know if he'll win the rookie of the year. Uh, Key Brian Hayes from the Pirates is phenomenal. Uh, but I, I, I have high hopes for Carlson this season. Ben, what do you make of the Cardinals' feast or famine offense? Yeah, it's pretty frustrating, right? <laughs> um, uh, when, when you look at the St. Louis Cardinals, there, there are only a few offensive players uh, that are doing much this season. And I wrote about Tommy Edmond in today's post-dispatch. Uh, he, he's doing pretty well. Uh, but even himself, he's got a 900-plus OPS in wins and a 500-something OPS uh, in losses. So they're, they're, clearly they're going to need more offense as, as we get going. Jeff Albert must be on the hot seat for this season. Uh, this, is his, this has to be his last season if they do poorly uh, from a hitting standpoint. And they're bringing back Bader and they're bringing back O'Neill even this weekend. And even though I'm not that high on Tyler O'Neill, I, I wonder if one of those guys will give him a little jolt. You, you would hope so. Hey, let's talk about your new book. Here we are, 10 years since the Cardinals' last world championship, 11 in 11, and it is described as the definitive account of a championship run no Cardinal fan will ever forget. Obviously, you do this as a 10-year anniversary, but as you go back and relive this, as you wrote the book, Benjamin, you must have found so many moments that we all loved that we may have forgotten about. Yeah, I just I just wanted to write a book for St. Louis, for my hometown, you know, one that would be on the shelf forever. And uh, so I wanted to tell stories that hadn't been told before. So I, I interviewed up to 60 people for the book, everything from players to the former governor of Missouri to a lot of fans, got a lot of great Game 6 stories. And, and yeah, you're right, for all the for all the Freeze and Berkman moments, there's there's some fun Adron Chambers moments and, and things like that from during that run that, that stand out to me. Ben, what's one of the stories that you found out and that you put in the book that you can share with us? Well, I had never heard about the magical fruit snacks. Had you? No. No. <laughs> so uh, Adam Wainwright, of course, was uh, going through Tommy John that year, didn't play. Kyle McClellan was injured, and the Cardinals are in Philadelphia, and they're losing early in the NLDS. 
And uh, that's when Wainwright and, 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 and Kyle McClellan, they're in the, in the clubhouse, and they're like, you know what we need? We need some runs. So let's have some magical fruit snacks. Let's see what these things do. So they each get a pack of, pack of fruit snacks. They eat them. The Cardinals have a big inning. And at that point on, those guys were eating fruit snacks nonstop throughout October <laughs> all the way to Game 7 of the World Series. Ben, did you find out what brand and flavor those fruit snacks were? Because we might want to send them some now. Yeah, I believe it was Welch's. Uh, I, I I pressed Wayno on it, uh, but yeah, it, 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 exactly. They they need them ten years later, right? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Benjamin Hockman with us. The new book is called Eleven in Eleven: A Hometown Hero, Larusa's Last Ride in Red, and a Miracle World Series for the St. Louis Cardinals. And you can learn more at Eleven in Eleven Book dot com, and. Things change a little bit, not much, because Tony comes back. Because, but it really was magical. When you talk about about magical fruit snacks, with it being Tony's last ride, with it being Albert Pujols' last ride here, with the trade that they made, getting rid of Rasmus and rebuilding the bullpen, it's amazing how much magic there was in that season. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's pretty crazy when you think about St. Louis sports. We could make an argument that we have one of the greatest baseball stories of all time and one of the greatest hockey stories of all time. So when you, when you look at the 2011 St. Louis Cardinals, for me, it's just a beautiful, beautiful story of teamwork, of kind of luck, if you will, and uh, just a bunch of fun along the way. And then we had the two greatest moments of our lives within an hour of each other. <laughs> Ben, I'm so curious how you put this together because we always think about David Freeze or, or we think about Albert Pujols. We think about certain moments during that run, but how were you able to source all of these stories? Well, for me, I wanted to write as much as I could about David Freeze. I'm fascinated by him. He has touched myself and so many of us uh, with what he did on the field uh, in, in a way that no athlete can, right? I mean, what he did... Being, I mean, I always joke, like, if David Freeze was from Botswana, he'd still be our hero here in St. Louis. But he's from Wildwood. He's from down the street. He's from here. He grew up. He went to the Dimitri Young triple game in 96. He's a Cardinals fan who won the Cardinals lottery, and he's the one. He made the team. But the reality is, for every superhuman thing he did uh, that night in October, He's a very, very human person, and he battled a lot of demons. And in the book, I interview some of his closest friends, as well as even one of the police officers that arrested him for a DUI. And, and this guy talked a lot about that night and what it was like arresting a St. Louis Cardinal, and then what it was like a few years later watching him win the World Series for his and David's hometown team. Benjamin Hockman, the book is called 11 in 11, and you can check it out at 11in11book.com. A couple more things. I love the fact that you have this started with Chris Carpenter, forward by Chris Carpenter, and then closing remarks by Jason Mott. And one of the other aspects of this is that Carpenter was never really the same after that Game 7 against Texas. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, he pitched on short rest, and it it might have affected his career, but the fact is he is a living legend in our town because of what he accomplished uh, that month. And there's so many Carpenter moments, right? You got him diving into first base head first. You got him pitching on short rest in game seven. And of course, the famous duel with Doc Halliday, Halliday uh, in game five in the NLDS. It's a beautiful cover. It's Freeze scoring the run as he uh, gets ready to cross home plate after the game six home run. And we're looking forward to the book, Benjamin. Congratulations on it. And we'll talk to you soon. 
Thanks so much. Take care. You too. We'll see you soon. That is Benjamin Hockman, columnist for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and the book 11 in 11. As you get ready for Mother's Day or a gift for any Cardinal fan, it'll be a great thing to have. I can't wait to read it. Uh, if you follow Ben on Twitter, at Hockman, he describes some things that he has in the book. He has as he mentioned, stuff from the governor of Missouri, the dancing granny from the some nights you win the World Series YouTube. Uh, we've seen her uh, make her way around the Internet. Uh, Lance Berkman dressing up as a mascot. He lists a lot of stories that are in there that we've never heard. So I can't wait to read it. I wonder when they all knew about Tony retiring. That's what I want to know. Hmm. I do. I, I'm just curious. From, and, yeah, from you know, a player's standpoint. Yeah, from the player's standpoint. I, I mean, all of the guys I've talked to say they had no idea. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder who knew. You know, Tony obviously knew. Did his family know? I don't know if, he, if his family even knew. Did Mr. DeWitt know? Did did Mo know? I think that'd be fascinating. Yeah. You know, when you're, what, ten and a half games out, then six and a half with hardly any to play, and that could be it. You know, you're talking about your final ride of one of the most historic figures in managing history. Mm-hmm. Did you ever ask him, or do you know, after he won the World Series, did he ever second-guess that decision? Because when you win and you look at the collection of talent you have, for someone who's as competitive as Tony, even if he had already made this decision, I wonder if he had that pull to maybe change his mind. I did. Okay. And uh, I don't think he knew how good the talent that was coming through. So it was Trevor Rosenthal. It was Martinez. Lance Lynn developed into a really good pitcher. Obviously, he knew that was probably going to happen. And here they are reunited 10 years later in in Chicago. But um, I don't think he had a full grasp of just how good some of the players that were coming through. Craig and Carpenter. Yeah. And if he did, I think we may have seen him stick around. I, I, that's just my personal gut feeling. He never told me that. Coming up on 101 ESPN, you're killing me, Smalls. Stick around. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It is time now for... You're killing me, Smalls. The NFL draft is next week, so we're going to be talking a lot about the draft. This is interesting to me. So the players who are going to be drafted had their medical check in Indianapolis last week, and some of the information from that is getting linked out. Most notably, some some weight and some size on some Alabama wide receivers. Uh, Most notably, uh, Devontae Smith. A lot of people concerned about his size heading into the NFL. He measured just over six feet. He weighed 166 pounds. I'll take him. Yeah, I'll I take will him too. too. I'll take him too. And by the way, Jalen Waddle, under just under five ten, he weighs one hundred eighty pounds. I'll take him too. I'll take yeah. him too. <laughs> I get I'll no take problem him with too. it. I think you can win with those guys. Yeah, I, I'd have. You got to catch him first to hit him. Yep. Yeah, and they can get open. And as we mentioned, I think Isaac Pro was one hundred seventy four when he got drafted. Yeah. So they'll get Devontae up to about one hundred eighty, one hundred eighty two when he plays. He'll be fine. Kind of an art too about. Avoiding the big hit. Yep. There is an art to it. Like Tom Brady never gets hit anymore. Hardly ever. You know, there's an art to getting to, to understanding that there's a time that you're going to get hit and there's a time that you don't. I would assume that those guys know. Yeah. They're undersized for college football too, I guess. And they dominated. Yeah. yeah and I would wonder what his weight might have been Devontae Smith at some point during the season. Right. I'm, I'm imagining leading up to this weigh-in that he was probably eating he's working out he's strictly working out because he knows that 
his measurables and everything are going to be out there for NFL teams. But during the season, he's probably not bulking up as much. He's playing. He's burning a lot of calories. I bet he was un- under that number many times during the season, and he was just fine. Yeah, he was great. Do you have anything on the Oscars? I don't, but oh, okay. I can pull something for you. Did they do... Uh... Did, did they do their thing? I just it's, saw a promo. It's coming up on Sunday. I didn't it, know it's coming up. I, I won't miss up. a minute of it. I haven't seen one movie I don't think that's nominated Neither. this year. And normally I'm all over it. Yeah, I just... Have you, Dan, seen any uh, of no, the No, I have not. And I will not be watching the Oscars because I don't care. <laughs> It's <laughs> plain and simple. Don't care. I will not be watching them either because I don't care either. I don't really take my worldly advice from them. That's that's what I'm going to get. I'm good with it. Most of the movies that the Academy deems to be great, I tend to find boring. So, Well, it's the artistic side of them that that's you have right. to really understand. Anyway, I'm sorry. I, I interrupted your killing. No, you're your good. You're good. I am uh, pleased to know that you're not into the Oscars because I did not have any Oscars-related okay. content today, I just wasn't so. sure. So when. I just saw the promo pop up. Yeah. That's why I, I, I actually saw that this morning on my Twitter timeline that the Oscars were going to be on Sunday. And it's the first time I had heard of it. First time I even yeah. knew that they were coming up. And normally that's something that you see a lot of promos for. You're talking to your friends. Did you see this movie? I recommended this actress should win best actress, whatever it may be. But none of my friends have talked about any movies. Everyone's talking about uh, shows that they've binged. I think that that's part of our consumption habits these days, especially in a pandemic. A lot of people are just binging shows. I'm going back to watching No Country for Old Men. Never seen it. Is it good? Uh, I didn't like it at first. And now I've only it's on like HBO this month or something. And I've been kind of like popping in and out of it. And I'm, I'm back in. I, I may have to change my opinion on that. Did you, this is so random, but I watched it the other day. Did either of you see The Shape of Water? I did not. Random may have. It's about a woman who can't speak that falls in love with a fish man. Oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> Adorable. It's a love story for the it ages, is. Dan. I thought it's you a love might story enjoy for the ages. I thought you might enjoy it. <laughs> okay, best picture nominees are The Father. The Father. Didn't see it. I hijacked your, your segment. Right. I'm sorry. No, I just good. saw the promo and it just, you know. Judas and the Black Messiah. Didn't see it. Saw the promos for that. Have not seen it. Mank. I did see Mank. That was good. Mank? Yeah. What's that about? It's about uh, 1930s or 40s director Joseph Mankiewicz. Hmm. Uh, Sounds riveting. Yeah, it was good. Okay. It was really good. Uh, and uh, let's see. Minari. Don't know it. Nomad Land, no. Hmm. Promising Young Woman, I want to see that. I heard that was great. That's the only one that you've mentioned that I've even really heard of. Sound of Metal and The Trial of the Chicago 7, which I also have not seen, but I'd like to. I would like to see that. I would like to see that as well. Yeah, I just, you know, the Oscars, they can relate to everyone, so you get to hear some great worldly advice from those folks. If you like any of those movies that Randy just mentioned, if you really think that we should check it out, 65780, Air Comfort Service text line. Because and I don't want to waste a lot of time watching these movies if they're not great. In in Mank, Gary Oldman is nominated for Best Actor. He was really good. I like him. Yeah. He's really good. Are there any other big-time stars in any of these movies that you yeah, kids, do they say? Well, here, on there? We, uh, Sorry, I didn't mean to put you put on the Put on the readers, no, Randy. No problem. Oh, yeah, they're coming. <laughs> I'm going to the eye doctor today. Uh, Chadwick Boseman has a great chance to win for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Oh, he'll definitely win. I would think so. Probably not much of a speech, but uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, the father, Anthony Hopkins, big name. Uh, and uh, let's see, supporting actor, Sasha Baron Cohen. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that, oh, is that he didn't get nominated for best actor for his work in Borat too? No, this is okay. for the tri- trial of the Chicago Seven. Got it. Leslie Odom Jr. from Hamilton. Yes, of course. Uh, One night in Big Miami. Fan. 
Nobody else I've ever heard of there. Viola Davis, an actress for a leading role. Uh, Francis McDormand for Nomadland. Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. Hmm. And then supporting actress, Glenn Close. Glenn. All yep. right. Amanda Seyfried for Mank. She was very good. So there you go. Now you know. Be your radio. But no Meryl. No. Did she do a movie this year? I'm not sure. Probably not. Anyway. That She's was fun. an actress. <laughs> she was, it's, it's part of the process. Oh, just God. to find her role. You're Ugh. killing me, Smalls. Well, this is a, a weird left that I'm about to take, but back to NFL medical records. <laughs> <laughs> um, Justin Fields, it became became known that he suffers from epilepsy. NFL Network reported that NFL teams are aware of this condition. They became aware of it during the pre-draft process. It hasn't affected Justin Fields on the field at all during his football career, and doctors are also confident that he's going to grow out of this condition. A lot of other members of his family have grown out of it. That is awesome. I'm pulling for him now. He could be an inspiration for a lot of people. That's Mm -hmm. cool. That's very cool. And if he's not worried about it, I'm not worried about it. Well, obviously, it didn't affect him too much. Nope. He He's one of the best really players in the country. Yep. But that, you know what? I mean, that's that's really something that is inspirational for so many. I, I have people that I know that have dealt with that, and it's tough. So good Scary. for him. Yeah, it really is. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, a lot of people might not have been watching the movies that are nominated for Oscars, but a ton of people were watching Jeopardy when Aaron Rodgers was the guest host. Ratings spiked. They were up 14% mm. from the week before he hosted. The show also had the number one finish on the syndication charts for the time that he was hosting it. It put that ahead of Family Feud and Wheel of Fortune. And recently, Aaron Rodgers was asked during an interview if he would take this job full time. He said he would. He said, quote, I don't think I need to give up football to do it. They film 46 days a year. I worked 187 this year in Green Bay. That gives me 178 days to do Jeopardy. So I feel like I could fit 46 into that 178 and make it work. It would be a dream job for sure. And I'm not shy at all about saying that I want the job. That's how I went into it. I want an opportunity to be in the mix. I didn't watch him. How did he? Was he good? I did not see either. I saw some highlights. But I didn't get to see an entire show. But by all accounts, Michelle, he was good. He was very good. So I was he very showed impressed. some personality. He, some, did. he was a little bit livelier than what we see on an interview, that kind of thing. He's light on his feet. He makes yeah. some jokes and he's not afraid to be self deprecating. And I thought he did an excellent job. And I would not be surprised if he gets that job permanently. He's already done the math, he's making it mm-hmm. known to anyone that will listen that he wants the job. And it seems like it will not affect football. Hey, if. Uh... If Michael Strahan can host Good Morning America, yeah, he certainly could host Jeopardy. Why not? You talk about leverage in your next contract negotiation with the Packers. Yeah, I got this in my back pocket, this $10 million a year job. I wonder, how much does that pay? Alex Trebek, I think, was making about ten, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. There's something like 140 Any other game shows per open? episode. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's not a bad job if you can get it. Oh my goodness! What did he? What did it say? He's working forty-seven days a year, making ten million dollars. Let me go back to that. Forty-six that is a days good a gig. year. They film forty-six days a year, and he's reading the questions. He's not. It's right. not even like he's coming up with the questions. He right. shows up. He gets the questions. He gets the answers. He just directs traffic, throws a joke in here or there. I think he'd be perfect for it. Great gig if you can get it. Absolutely. You're killing me, Smalls. Hey, Randy, do you know why golfers wear two pairs of pants? No, why, Michelle? In case they get a hole in one. (laughs) I'll only give you one more. 
okay, because like we, we did get a bunch to the text line. Randy, what do dinosaurs get paid in? And by the way, these all are directed at you on the text line. I'm not surprised. I do not know what dinosaurs get paid in. What are what do they get paid in, Michelle? Tyrannosaurus checks. <laughs> people are so funny. See what we've done, Dan. I, you know what? Randy's I'm, people coming out to give the jokes. I'm more on the Jeopardy thing here right now. I'm trying to think if he was monotone, because he's pretty monotone in his talking about Aaron Rodgers. He's pretty monotone in his interviews with the media. Mm-hmm. Not to say you have to be over the top, because I think Jeopardy is more of a even keel. Yeah, you're. Sure, you're pretty, was like that. Yeah, very even keel. He every once in a while throwing. Well, Johnny, you know, he kind of kind of do a little bit of you know. Where if you watch like Family Feud, it's hilarious because mm-hmm. the Family Feud comes up with a dumb answer, and and mm-hmm. Steve Harvey's like, "Wait a minute here," you know, and then he and he he lets the crowd laugh and builds it up. That's funny. Where in Jeopardy, you don't do it because you're kind of you know you got to get to the Daily Double, so you got to move. Right. Right. So I don't know if you, I don't know. Maybe I, I want to watch Double. You should watch him. I think you didn't. You would have enjoyed his work. Okay. On Jeopardy. All right. Randy, how much does a chimney cost from the six three six? I don't know. How much does a chimney cost? Nothing. It's on the house. <laughs> People are the best. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. Killing me, Saul's finished up, and then on this we get crossover next. Got yeah, it. You headed towards uh, the Danny Mac show with BK. Yeah. Coming your way on one hundred and one ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. If you desire a vaccine for COVID-19, it's available at the Dome downtown every day from 8 to 6. 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., including Saturday and Sunday. No appointment required. No insurance required. Show up. Get your shot. They've got free parking at 6th and Cole. Use entrance C to the Dome. It's the Pfizer vaccine free for everyone at the Dome every single day from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. If that's what you want to do, it's available for you. Good. I'm glad you're putting it out there. The Cardinals have a day off. This is a, a good day off for the Cardinals. Yeah, it's seven-game homestand coming up. I think it'll be a, a fun series with the Reds coming to town and Castellanos and the, the <laughs> fallout from the first series. So that'll be good. I, I guess if you're looking for some positives coming out of the road trip is that the starting pitching looked to get settled in in that Washington series, which then has a residual effect of settling, settling in your bullpen a little bit. You're going to get Tyler O'Neill back this weekend. So we'll see how the, the lineup plays out and how they want to play it. I'm intrigued to see what what they do, especially with the advent of Justin Williams in the outfield. I wonder if they go to a straight platoon there and maybe Tyler O'Neill plays against lefties. Does Williams get that much time where he's playing against right-handers? I'm interested to see what Mike does. Well, if he played against a lefty in Corbin the other day, yeah. I, I think he plays every day. I think you let Tyler o- O'Neill play every day. Carlson's going to be in there, put Edmund back at second, Carpenter goes on your bench. And that, that's what I would think that they do initially um and then like i was saying this morning i think you kind of write out the hot hand and if one of those guys emerges he plays if another guy goes on a really bad rut you sit and you try to mix and match um 
And I think that's what what Mike's been given right now to try to to you know figure out with this lineup. And the team is two games under. If they're at 500 on Memorial Day, we're a month and a week away from Memorial Day. If they're at 500, then I'm good with that. If they if that's where the jumping off point is, I'm fine with that. I want to see what they do against the Cubs and the Pirates. Mm-hmm. That's almost mm-hmm. 40 games between those two teams, yeah. and that might be your division. So you play 500 against everybody else. And you beat up on teams that you have a chance to, especially the Pirates. Pirates have actually played better than than most thought. Yeah. Um, but I think over the course of 162, they're going to be who we thought they were. And that's where you maybe slip in and, and get into the playoffs. Who knows? And win this division. And you're head-to-head with Milwaukee. Milwaukee's pretty good. What do you guys think about the Blues tonight? Do you think they win? Do you think they come out? Showing that they're not fragile? What do you think their mindset yes. is? Yes. First five or ten minutes, I think, dictates the game. I just think that with what Colorado is dealing with from a That's COVID I mean. standpoint, missing key players, missing their goalie, missing one of the guys from their top line, I, I think it's going to be difficult for them. The Blues should be able to take it to them. What about you? I think that they will come out hot. I think they're going to come out flying. I think that they'll score first. I'm concerned about the second period. I'm concerned about them maintaining consistency. And against Colorado, you lighten up a little bit. You let your foot off the gas. You're going to pay for it. So I hope that we see them looking desperate tonight. They should be playing desperate with a sense of urgency. 314 NFL draft being over in capital letters is what I'm looking forward to. NFL talk is killing me, Smalls. I think a lot of people in St. Louis might feel that way. Well, the yeah. problem is you, you have the, you, you got the draft if you're that texter, and then, but then you have the breakdown of the said draft that yeah. will last another month and a half, and then you start having camps, and before you know it, it's uh, late July, August, and football season is here. So back in the day, October 1st was when we started draft talk. Oh, yeah. And the draft was in May, so that was nine months. Right. And then you went... The, the, right. the month of May to the start of June, we talked about the draft. Then June was kind of off. And then you talked about football. You had the high hopes during July and, and August. And then September set in. And then back on October 1st, you were talking about the drafting again. Yeah. I think training camp was probably the highlight of our NFL season outside of the draft. draft because was a Super Bowl. Yeah. The draft was a Super Bowl. But training camp, you got to see all the new players that the team drafted. Mm-hmm. You did the fun interviews with them. Um your hopes weren't extremely high because I think fans still knew what they were dealing with, but you were in a good mood. People were at least in a good mood about the team before they actually played a game. My favorite one was 09, Jason Smith's first day of mini Ooh. camp when they determined <laughs> that he couldn't play left tackle. Yeah. First day of mini camp. Yeah, he said, Coach, I, I can't. He'd never been in his life, never been in a three point stance. And so they tried to line him up at left tackle. This is non contact. And he just can't make the movements required of a left tackle. It was unbelievable. I miss hearing Joel Bushbaum. I, I do. <laughs> God rest his soul. But he was the best on these drafts. What are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny in this voice. And he was a mystery for so many people. And you and I interviewed him and talked to him millions of times, it seems he like. But best. He was the best, man. And it, it was more not him telling me who they're going to draft, but it was just more listening to him talk. Yep. I just thought it was great. And you could ask him about, you know, a guy that was going to be a the 200th pick in the draft, and he knew about him. When the the Cardinals drafted Jay Novacek, we had Coach Hannafin in there that night, and Joel was on the line. And Coach Hannafin says, 
yeah, I got this uh, Jay Novacek kid, six four and a half, and uh, Joel says six four and five ace. <laughs> <laughs> what did Jim do? Did he start laughing a little yeah, bit? He did. Yeah, six four and five ace. <laughs> it, it makes me laugh to think about. I wish we could pull the tape of some of the shows that we did after the Rams draft and the way we tried to get excited about some of mm-hmm. these players and spin it in a positive way. Well, maybe this guy will be good knowing that the Rams it's like did not draft well. Spring training in baseball. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. paternal for everybody. Well, mostly everybody. There's some teams I'm sure go to spring training and they're like, their fan base like, this team stinks. Yeah. And you know it. But, you know, there's always stories that emerge with spring training. You always get that. You get John Nagowski's. It's a great story. Yep. It's fun watching him play. Um, wish he played a little bit more. But, you know, um, and the draft was kind of like that, too. Remember when the Rams drafted Marty Gilliard, how oh, excited we were? We oh, loved yeah. him. Oh, yeah. He's, okay, we haven't replaced, pl- replaced Bruce and Holt, but this is the guy. Oh, yeah. And then they, in the same draft, draft drafted uh, Austin Pettis and, and uh, Greg Salas, and neither of them could run. Austin Pettis and Greg Salas. Man, I haven't heard either of those names in a long time. Worst pick ever, Lawrence Phillips here in town? Uh, yeah, I Jason think it Smith? was. Worse than Jason, Jason Smith, Smith, number two overall, but that was a bad draft. The Robinson pick was really horrific. I I always go back to Ty Hill. Then they took him with the... Uh, they traded out of 11 to get to 16. They could have taken Haloti Nada at number 11, and instead they wound up taking Ty Hill, who lasted three years in the league, right. and he's gone. Unbelievable. Boy, they, they had a lot of bad ones, though. That The 06 draft with Ty Hill may have been the worst draft by any team in the history of the league. It was bad. It was unbelievable. How many guys, were, they only, like, on average, wasn't like two and a half, three years of those guys yeah, lasted years, the entire draft? Three years later, you only had a couple of guys left, and one was a seventh rounder, right. Victor Adeanju. And they were trying at that time, right? Yeah, they were. <laughs> this I mean, was they, before it was, they knew they wanted so, to leave. They were actually trying to draft good players. Was Ty Hill out of the league three years? Was, it, was Devaney the GM then? Yes, he was. Yeah. You had Joe Klopfenstein second. Yeah. No, I don't think Billy was here yet. Here, I'll find yeah, out. Billy was in 08. Yeah. Uh, so it might have still been Jay in charge, yeah. actually. Uh, then in the third round, you took Claude Roten, John Alston, and Dominique Bird, tight end from USC. Yeah. And then you wound up taking Claude Terrell in that draft, who wound up getting arrested. Claude Terrell. Uh, yeah, yeah it, it was horrendous. It was Jay Zygmunt. It was Jay. It was Jay. Okay, so we got some saying Eric Crouch. um, Let's see. Trunk candidate. Trunk was bad. Yeah. (laughs) Trunk was bad. Trunk was not good. Mike was so excited when he watched Trunk. He he was experiencing such glee that he had to walk away so that nobody in the rest of the league saw how happy and excited he was about Trung's speed. And then he put on pads. The the amazing thing about (laughs) Trunk Canada was uh, among, he, he could run. But whenever Marshall got hurt, he would get hurt within the first half of the next game. He had no interest in playing. It was unreal. Yep. So It happens. Yeah, he made his money. It was all right. Yeah. So th- those were the days. Coming up, hey, Ned Coletti will be our guest. Love oh, Ned. Great. One of my all-time favorites. Yep. And uh, tell him I said hi. I will. Thank you. Definitely. Uh, this was great. Thank you, Danny. We'll see you, you tomorrow. See Emily, you guys then. good job as always. Thank you. And Michelle, have a great day. Thank you, Randy. I'm getting my eyes checked. Good luck. I need you gonna it. have a LASIK, a LASIK surgery? I, I don't know. I can tell you this. I, my eyes are not going to be found to be good when I get to the eye doctor. You've had LASIK. I have, and it wore off. Eat some carrots.
That's what I got to do. My dad always used to say, have you ever seen a blind rabbit? I'm like, I have not. Confirmed. Eat some carrots. They said, guy says he's tired <clears throat> of draft talk and then talk draft for five minutes. What were we talking? We were reminiscing yeah, more we so were. than anything. We went down memory lane. Right. Or nightmare alley, whatever you so, want right. to call it. Do you think those rabbits that get whacked by a tire are actually seeing the car coming? I think that they just can't run. Maybe mm, they have a, ha- a hammy issue. Hammy. <laughs> they pulled a hammy. They can't run across the street. All right. For all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Looking to expand or move your company? Look no further than Ohio. With a talented workforce for in-demand industries like tech, healthcare, engineering, manufacturing, and more, you can staff up and scale for growth. Ohio's central location and reliable infrastructure will help you impress your customers, while Ohio's affordable cost of living and quality of life will excite your employees. Why survive somewhere else when your business can thrive in Ohio? Visit successinohio.com today. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.